What's up? We want to give thanks to all of our amazing sponsors. Piper Diamonds, your hometown jeweler. Bling, bling at PiperDiamondCo.com. TheCardenasLawGroup.com, your concierge level service, which is for all your personal injury needs. And Compton Broomhead Dental at MunsterDental.com. This is top level luxury dental care. And Finley Volvo Cars of Las Vegas. Safety first since 1927. All right, Kelly Cardenas podcast. Let's go. Welcome to the Kelly Cardenas Podcast, where attitude is everything. On today's show, I am so excited. It was like a kid on Christmas uh, this morning. I woke up probably 5.30 this morning because I knew I got to have this guest on. Uh, he's my uh, my number one hero, uh, my best friend in the whole entire world, uh, the top lawyer in Las Vegas. He's going to say he's not, but he is. Um, been named to the top uh, trial lawyer, top 100 trial lawyers many, many, many years. He was the top 40, under 40, uh, graduated magna cum laude from his uh, from uh, University of Memphis Law, um, had six straight semesters with a 4.0. Uh, he is everything. He also threw four touchdowns in one game at Cabrillo High School. <laughs> so I want to welcome to the show none other than Mr. Rob Cardenas, my big brother. Welcome to the show, brother. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate that uh, inflated and exaggerated overview. Um, to set the record straight, uh, it was never four. There was multiple three touchdown games, however. And it was not magna cum laude in law school. It was it was college. Uh-huh. I struggled to get through law school with a little help from my friends. But well, we're other gonna... than that, uh, you were you were pretty spot on. So I appreciate <laughs> the research. <laughs> well, I apologize. I, in my head, you you were the president of the uh, of the um, law school, which Maybe you were. Lambda Lambda. You were you were the president of your law school. Though. <laughs> Vice president of the SBA. Oh, okay. See, I I inflate the stuff. The reason why is because you're my hero. Um, Honestly, like I've got a a chance to be able to have so many guests on the show, so many uh, different from general managers of uh, NFL teams to Grammy award winners to all these things. And honestly, like I was the most nervous to be able to interview you because you mean the most to me. Um, Guys, if you're listening, this is my, uh, this is my best friend in the whole entire world. The person that I look up to and the person that I call when I'm in a pinch or that I want to celebrate too. So um, it's awesome to be able to have you on the show. Uh, if you want to follow him on Instagram, it's at Robert, uh, Rob Cardenas Esquire, ESQ. And then on Facebook, it's Rob Cardenas. And on Twitter, what's the Twitter handle? Uh, the same as the Instagram, Rob uh, Cardenas ESQ. Okay. And if you want to be inspired, you need to follow this guy. He is absolutely phenomenal. Let's jump right in. Um, one of my biggest questions for you is like, you have a resilient mindset, like, and I've seen it over and over again. Um, where does this, you know, let's go back to little, uh, you, you've went through a, a transition. So there used to be Robbie, like when you were growing up, everyone, it was Robbie. Let's talk about Robbie right now. Uh, a little kid, uh, where did that resilience come from? And, and where do you think that uh, you were able to draw on it? Well, uh, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. And, and I think part of uh, my uh, uh, initial um, uh, delay and even coming on was um, uh, was a little bit of nervousness and, and, and living up to the hype that I know you would build up around it and around me. So I appreciate that. 
um, when, when uh, I, I usually gauge the people in my life based on uh, whether they uh, call me Robbie, it, it usually signifies that uh, they've been in my life for 30, 35, 40 plus years. Um, and then, you know, as I've gotten a little older, um, the names of, you know, people, it's evolved somewhat, but, um, you know, I, I think, I think uh, the resiliency muscle is just something that's built over time. And, you know, uh, the, the experiences that we had in our life growing up and, and, um, you know, the, a lot of times being in survival mode, a lot of times it just being you and I be, uh, having each other to rely on and support one another. And uh, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't want to come on here and, and, and pretend or act like, you know, we had this terrible childhood or we had it worse than, than everybody, you know, out there, you know, your listeners or viewers, but, you know, there were, there were a lot of uh, uh, challenging times in, in our young life, a lot of adversity in our young life uh, that carried through into early adolescence and early adulthood and even in, into, you know, the present day. And so I just think over time, uh, learning to adapt and deal with things and trying to um, stay positive throughout the process. For me, for me, what it comes down to um, is, uh, is perspective, faith, and mindset. So just having a strong growth mindset, this belief that hard work and effort uh, will will uh, increase your um, possibility or probability of success, that hard work does pay off, um, and maintaining faith and this this idea or this hope that things will will get better. And thing, if we continue to move forward and stay positive, that uh, we we can overcome uh, what what seemingly uh, uh, others believe to be impossible odds or, or circumstances. And then just having this perspective of like always trying to focus on the positive and looking at, at the good and everything and trying to find the good in everything with this idea that, you know, um, there are people out there that are, are literally praying uh, for the problems that you and I uh, have in life. I mean, the things that you and I take for granted are the things that other people are praying for. So always trying to maintain that perspective and, and that mindset and having, having that faith. I think those have been the really the foundational uh, components for, for my life. So let's, let's go back to, because, and I think that's, it's incredible to be able to hear it because when you're talking about the perspective, I mean, a lot of times people will look at something and they look at the exact same thing. And you and I are this way. We looked at the exact same thing. We were raised in the exact same house. Um, I gravitated, we both like hip hop, but you went more towards hairband and uh, heavy metal. And uh, <laughs> you, you were an avid uh, rat fan. So shout out, shout out to rat scorpion. Uh, scorpion in the house too. Um, and, uh, you did rock a little bit of a mullet back in the day. Um, yeah. you, you had a little fluffy in the, in the back edge. So when we talk and about, I, I, I miss those days, <laughs> but you got a good dome, man. I mean, you got, you got Nam bumps on your head, so it, it works out perfect. So when, when we were, when we were kids, like, when did you start to fall in love with sports? And to give a background story on this for everyone out there listening, my brother, and I explain him this way every single time, and I've never, I don't know if I've ever told you this, Rob, but I say that Rob is the guy who 
could never play the sport that you play. He could like never play it. You could work on it every single day of your life, work on your shot every day. And I'm saying this because I was that guy. I would work on my shot, work on my shot. And then he would be watching and then he would step out. And before he got on the court with you or went into the game with you, he would talk about how he was going to whoop you. Then while he was whooping you, then he would tell you how he was whooping you. Then when he got done, then he would explain how he whooped you afterwards. And that's how my life was growing up, being able to see this fierce competitor, this crazy dude that literally like was great at every single thing he did. When did you fall? in love with sports and and how was that correlation into the world that you're in today um you know i i just uh remember um when i was a little kid um there was rarely a time that i wasn't walking around carrying a football in my hand um always wanting to play catch um always wanting to play you know, uh, touch football before school, at lunch, after school, uh, playing in the street, um, throwing the ball with, you know, with to the extent we could throw the ball. Um, and part of the reason why I didn't, I liked receiver or catching the ball much more than throwing the ball when I was little was that the ball was too big for me <laughs> to throw. Um, but I just, I, I, I loved, um, sports and sports was kind of an escape for me to be honest with you it was uh I never really got to play organized sports until I was probably in in fifth grade um and that was the first year that I played organized baseball and organized football uh up until that point it was really just sort of an escape um you know and there was a lot of times where I was either just by myself or um, at school with friends playing, but I followed the sport, you know, the sports world religiously. I collected baseball cards. I, I knew all the statistics of all the players. I knew the positions. I followed uh, every aspect of it. And it's just something that I, that I really loved. And, and I, I believed uh, in my heart of hearts uh, from the time I was a little kid that I was going to play professional football and I remember distinctly being asked in first grade by my teacher uh, what I wanted to do when I grew up. And I told her, told her I was going to play. I, I, not that I wanted to, or not that I thought about it, but definitively without hesitation, I'm going to play quarterback for the, the Los Angeles Rams uh, because I happened to be my favorite team at the time. And I, I rocked my number 11 Pat Hayden Jersey, like all the time I had a, an official Rawlings Rams football helmet that I still have to this day that I've passed on to my son. Um, and, and I was just a big avid sports fan and, and I believed that that's what I was going to do uh, when I uh, eventually uh, grew up and got older. And, and there, obviously there came a time in my late teens where I realized that wasn't going to take place. Um, and, but, but I look back on the, um, the experience in, in, in athletics and team sports and a lot of the principles I learned there and a lot of the great mentors and coaches that I had throughout my life that I was blessed to be around um, uh, instilled in me a great level of, of confidence and encouragement and uh, built a lot of the um, the, the things in, that I believe are necessary to transition into other areas of life and, and to help you be successful 
in other areas of life, socially, in personal relationships, and business relationships, and in business itself, because um, you know a lot of those same uh, concepts apply uh, once you know when you get into the business world. So, well. One of the things that, I mean, the whole, the whole premise of the podcast is that attitude determines altitude. And a lot of times people think about altitude and they all think that they need to be at the same level. And what I found was when I looked up the, the word altitude, it was the height in relation to ground level. Right? right. And that changed my whole entire perspective on this word, because based off of your ground level, that was your altitude. And sometimes we look at somebody and maybe they haven't accomplished a, a ton or maybe we think they haven't, but we don't know how far they've come to be able to get to that point. So I want to talk about this because you are a product of a 16 year old young lady, our mom, and a 19 year old man. Well, boy at the time, but that's our father. And so a lot of times uh, coming from a 16-year-old mom and a 19-year-old, I mean, you literally are growing up with your parents. Like you were doing that. So how were you able to navigate those things? You talked about being alone uh, a lot. You know, sports was kind of an escape, things like that. Um, if for the outside world, when people look at you, like when I look at you, um, I just thought that everything went, was going exactly perfect. You were, you know, you, you played the, the, the top, uh, positions in sports growing up, things like that. Let's talk about some of the things that you had to be able to overcome to be able to, uh, to accomplish or to be able to see the things that you're seeing now in your life. Yeah. Well, uh, first to touch on the, the altitude, uh, um, assessment there. I think it's 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 a really wonderful point because I believe that success is a relative term. Like I think what what, what you're getting at, uh, and I think that it's dependent upon how we define it and our perception of of success in our in our own life. And relatively speaking, we can achieve a high level of success um, uh, based on our definition and what we prioritize and what we view as being important. Um, and we, we need to avoid, or at least I try to avoid, uh, um, comparison, right? The evil of comparison, comparing our lives to the other people, comparing our marriage to other couples, our business to other businesses, you know, our accomplishments to other uh, people's accomplishments, because I think if we do that, then we lose track of how far we've come, right? And so we don't all start out on equal ground, right? Some start out behind where we, 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 we began, and some started out ahead of us. And so you can look at somebody um, that, you know, you might or the public might perceive as being really, really successful, but maybe they in, if you were able to look behind the curtain, you see other things that they're dealing with or adversities and, and losses that they're dealing with, or they had a really head start in life. So their relative success might be, uh, the gap might be a little closer as opposed to somebody that starts out, um, you know, uh, with a, you know, parents who were teenagers who birthed you out of wedlock, who struggled financially, who went through uh, various separations and near divorce and and financial ruin and all of those sorts of things. So you you might not have reached the same pinnacle or the same peak, right? But that gap, uh, relatively speaking, might be pretty significant. 
And, and that's for, for me, that's why I, I always look at people with, you know, a, a heart of compassion because you never really know what they're dealing with and where they come from and where they're at in their life. So I, I try to, I try to focus on, you know, the goodness in everybody and, 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 and try to love people where they're at because, you know, you can also, you can also look at somebody that the, that, that the uh, public might view as not being that successful. Right. But some of the people that are, that I view as being like the greatest examples of human beings, fathers, uh, brothers, um, you know, husbands um, may not necessarily be, you know, these, these um, business giants or these, you know, incredibly financially successful people in terms of how the, the, the world would define that. Right. Because I look at, I look at them and I see what they've gone through and where, where they've come from. And I, I think, man, they have, they have overcome a ton and their life is such an incredible example. So um, yeah, that's, uh, that's just kind of the way I, I, I approach it and, and look at it. And so, you know, again, defining what is uh, how you define success for yourself. What are your priorities in life? Uh, For me, for me, my focus and the people that are in my life know this because I don't just talk it. I live it. Um, My family, my friends um, are the priority in my life. I, I, I aspire and try every single day to be the best version of myself. I can be being the best husband being the best father, being the best son, being the best uh, brother, being the best friend that I can be without comparing my life to other people. And listen, it's incredibly difficult because there is that temptation of comparison that's out there, particularly in the field that I'm in, uh, in the in the community that I live in, where we're inundated with billboards and television ads and radio ads and the buses are wrapped and the taxis are wrapped. And, and, you know, I look around, if I, if I got caught up in this, in this, uh, in this world of comparison, I'd look around and be like, damn, I'm a failure. Like I, I suck. Everyone else has all of these incredible things. Um, but I can't do that because relatively speaking, I know that I am doing good. I am doing good for other people. I'm a ser- a, a service to other people. Um, I'm living out my purpose and I'm exactly where I need to be. And I can't compare my life and myself or my business to, to, to the things that other people or other businesses are doing or accomplishing. And I'm not, and I don't hate on those either. I think it's, I applaud them. I think it's amazing. I think what these other people in my industry are doing is, is magnificent. Um, it's not, it's not what I do or necessarily can, can even do, but I can't get caught up in that idea of comparison. And of course, we live in Las Vegas in a community that, you know, some would argue doesn't have a ton of substance that, you know, you've got to drive a, a fancy car and live in a particular area, town or, or a gated community. You got to send your kids to private institutions, private schools, and you got to play club sports and you got to, you know, you got to live your life a particular sort of way. And so when you get caught up in that, which is easy, it can detract you from where you need to be. And, and more importantly, it can detract you from really focusing on how far you've come and how great your life really is. So again, every morning I wake up, I try, I focus on the good in my life. I've got a, I've got a beautiful wife and, and, and uh, wonderful children 
They're healthy. We have a house and a roof over our head. I love what I do. I come to work uh, and I, I, I get to live out my purpose. I have great staff. Um, I love on them. I love on the people in my life as much as I possibly can. And, you know, we, my household, we live by the mantra of um, uh, happy, healthy, having fun. You know, are you, are you, are you happy? Are you healthy? And healthy encompasses your physical being, your mental, emotional, financial, um, uh, healthy uh, health. Right. And then uh, are you are, are you having fun? And, and so, you know, in my I, I, that, that's how we live our life. The first thing I, uh, I ask my children when they come off a field, you know, or a court. Um, and one of my favorite things to do, if not my absolute favorite thing to do is to watch my kids compete and have fun. Uh, the first thing I ask them when they come off as I'm as I'm usually either hugging them or wrapping my arm around them is, did you have fun? Uh, and the second thing, and the first thing I say to them is, I, I, I love you. I'm so proud of you. And so I try to live my life that way on a personal level. And um, sorry, I, I get a little emotional when I talk about my kids. Um, but I also uh, try to operate and run my, my business the same way. I try to create an environment that is healthy, you're right, emotionally healthy, uh, financially healthy, um, uh, physically healthy, you know, not overworking anybody, um, not stressing them out, um, you know, not putting too much on them, uh, you know, loving on them where they're at. Um, uh, are, are they, uh, are, are they happy? Because, you know, science demonstrates, um, that, uh, happy people are more productive. So keeping a happy environment, smiling, you know, whatever you might be facing in your personal life, when you walk through the threshold of that door, like you put on that smiley face and you come in here with that positive energy because we need to feed off one another. And we 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 uh, are putting that out in, in, uh, into the community and the clients that we encounter because, you know, we never know what their the clients are dealing with. And then, you know, having fun or we got to have fun. You know, and having fun doesn't necessarily always mean like, you know, having a party or, you know, you know, sitting around being unproductive. Uh, but, you know, there's nothing wrong with having fun in the workplace, like having a good time and being supportive and encouraging of each other and celebrating even the mi- the most minor, uh, seemingly insignificant victories. Right. Like um, and, and just having a good time and creating that that happy, healthy, um, fun environment. So. So how are you, because you, you and I grew up in the exact same house, right? I mean, I grew up in a, a room that was right next door that had the Michael Jackson posters when you had Rat, Scorpion, uh, Motley Crue, uh, <laughs> Van Halen. Um, and you even put your, is it true that you put your head on a body of uh, Eddie Van Halen, um, rest in peace, when you were a kid and you posted on your wall? Yeah, is that true? is true. And actually, that's probably one of the more creative things that I've, <laughs> I've, I've done in my life. And, and honestly, it, it, I probably would have been, become like a social media influencer had that existed at the time, because it was like, it was like, you know, nothing had ever, no one had ever seen something like this. But to go back just slightly, my musical preference, I think a lot of that's just stemmed from the fact that I was trying to uh, figure out who I was, right? Like just trying to find out like what I connected with. Um, and my musical preference even now is like super, super eclectic. And I think a lot of that stems from the fact that mom and dad were teenagers uh, when I was growing up. 
and then in their early 20s when and they they got their party on and they were having a good time and they played a lot of music and had parties and house parties and just and like growing up on music and loud music right and and so just having an appreciation for all all areas of of music and um uh but going back to the Eddie Van Halen thing what I had done is I I um you know, I, I, one of the, one of my first favorite, uh, uh, albums was 1984 Van Halen and that song jump. Right. And it was about the time where we first got MTV. It was like the first time we ever had cable in our lives. Right. For like that one year. <laughs> no, I think it was a <laughs> month cause it was free. That's what it, yeah, I believe it was. So we got, the free, we got the free subscription. Right. And so, and, and I remember seeing the music video and just being like so captivated and, and, uh, and, and, uh, I, I subscribed to, I, I didn't subscribe, but I, I, I remember buying a, a, a music a magazine of some sort. And, um, there was an advertisement, uh, with Eddie Van Halen. I don't remember what, what he was necessarily ad- advertising, but he had his arm like this around sort of a speaker. Right. And so what I did is I, I cut the picture out as best as I could and I cut the speaker around you know out so it looked like he was just like 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 this with his arm around something right or someone and then i took my school photo from that year and i and i and i scotch taped it you know over over the eddie van halen so it looked like eddie van halen was had his arm around me and then i i taped it on my wall and i used uh whatever horrible generic uh, camera that we that we had because again we didn't have cell phone cameras or anything like that because now I mean, I'm telling you if they would have existed back then people would have lost their mind and I took a picture of it and developed it and I think it was actually one of the Polaroid right where you like <laughs> shake it like a Polaroid picture <laughs> and I took the picture and I got the Polaroid and I taped that that then was on my wall and i used to show people and it was all blurry and shit like can i it was like (laughs) such terrible quality but people thought that i met eddie van halen and this is at the height of right like the the, 1984 like you know this this they were already popular to begin with but uh anyway the, the the story is true and that's you know part of my claim to fame and i was probably just about 30 years ahead of my time. Do you remember when you renounced Michael Jackson? Because I remember, see, you don't, you don't talk about Michael Jackson often, but I I was a huge fan, huge fan. I mean, this was before all the scandal stuff. I had the, uh, the thriller jacket, everything like that. You did have a Michael Jackson, bad jacket. Um, and you wore it one time. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I, I was, thanks for bringing that up. Uh, so, you know, first of all, first of all, I, I, I mean, I was an incredibly uh, insecure kid, right? Like uh, growing up. And, um, you know, I think a lot of it just stemmed from the fact that, you know, we didn't have a whole lot, right? And, and th- again, this goes back to what I was talking about earlier, like the, the evil of comparison and comparing your life to other people and, 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 and so growing up, like you know, looking at, at our friends and, and, and seeing, you know, what the types of things that they had or the types of things they could do and thinking, man, we don't have those things and we're not able to experience those things. And, and so 
really it created a lot of, you know, um, uh, a, a lack of confidence, some insecurity. And, um, and I think this is where one of the ways in which we're, you know, in, in, incredibly, we were incredibly different during our young, in, in our young life. And, we'll, and I'll touch on that in a second. But um, I remember specifically really, really wanting that jacket. And, uh, and, and I got it. And it wasn't the thriller one. It was the one with all the zippers. It was the, the black. It was the, the bad. It was the bad, bad. jacket. Okay, yeah, bad. Yeah. bad. There we go. Yeah. So, so I got I got the jacket, and um, dude, I was I, I I was at VMS. I was a sixth grader, and I wore it to the first day of school. And I thought, dude, I'm I got this <laughs> literally like literally and figuratively bad ass jacket, and I wear it. And uh, there were some the meddlers, like the the like the metal. The heavy metal, the heavy metal traders, like they were all like long hair, like, you know, people would call them, people now would call them or then would call them burnouts. But you knew those are the kids that like, like, like did, you know, cool, illegal shit. At least like, that's what you thought when you're a sixth (laughs) grade, they smoked and they, they probably like, you know, uh, kissed girl, French kissed girls and, you know, drink beer, (laughs) like on the way to school. Right. And so I'm like, I'm like walking on campus and you got to understand like the context of it is I'm an insecure kid. It's my first day on a new campus because we had just moved to California from Florida. And in Florida, the school system was middle school was fifth through seventh grade. And so I had just finished fifth grade and I was like, oh, I'm about to be a sixth grader. I'm about to be the top, you know, big, big man on campus. And then we moved to California and the and the, and the middle school system had switched to sixth through eighth grade. So now, man, I go right to the bottom of the, of the heap again. And now, so it's my first day on campus. I'm insecure. And these metal dudes, right? Like, and I'm not going to out them. I know, ex- I know exactly who they are. I know their name. I'm going uh, to post it in the comments below. I'm going to put their names out there. No, no. I'm just don't. joking with you. I'm just no, kidding but, with you. Um, but at any rate, they, uh, they like, they they saw me walk walk by and they they teased me they're like made fun of my jacket like <laughs> and i was just <laughs> so devastated i was embarrassed and i was intimidated like i was like are these guys going to beat me up because of my jacket like i just was so embarrassed that i like took i took the jacket off and i never wore the jacket again I, I, so yeah that was that was awful and i i, I think I think that where I was at now, if that happened to me now, right? Like, first of all, I, I probably don't wear the bad jacket. If I did, I would look like Chris Farley, like fat guy in a little suit, right? But you don't, you don't have the jacket anymore. Do you have the jacket anymore? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't have the jacket. Anymore. Oh, you know, okay. All right. no. But it, but 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 if it happened now, where I'm at in, in my life, right, and being comfortable in my own skin and, and being comfortable with where I'm at in life, I'd probably laugh it off. And I think. One of the things that I admire about you most, and this is where I think we uh, were very distinct in growing up, is that you had this ability to wear and do and listen to anything that you liked and and own it. And because you were so like confident about what you wore and listened to and, and liked and did, people just like accepted it and never had an issue with it. It was like, Oh, that's baby fresh. You know, <laughs> he, he's the one white kid that is breakdancing and he has that little flat top and, you know, um, you, like you were able to wear goofy clothes and, 
and and have funny hair cuts and growing up and do everything that you wanted to do and and you tried things along the way and you never gave the impression of feeling insecure about it or uncomfortable about it and as a result people not only accepted it but gravitated towards you where a lot of times in in my early life um what people might not realize is i was just trying to fit in man i was just trying to be a normal kid you know just i i was like i felt like i was abnormal and i felt like um i was a little bit of an uh, of an outcast so to speak and i was just trying to find myself and you know uh what i learned you know as i was growing up i remember feeling like this intense desire to just i just want normalcy i just want to be normal like i want a family to be normal i want to be normal and then as i got older i'm like damn the last thing on earth i want is to be normal i <laughs> i i i want to be weird i am weird i am abnormal and i and i and i embrace that much later in life but uh, yeah well it's it's amazing that you say it because this is one of the first times me hearing i've i've known you my whole entire life but you saying those words anyone who knows you which is a lot of people that are listening to the show they would never know that that stuff was going on. And that was one of the questions that I was going to ask you was, I mean, here you were the star quarterback. You were the, the sweetheart of the town. I remember at times, and shout out to the police officers that, that let you off, but there was times where in our town, in our small town, where there would maybe be a little bit of trouble and they would want you to play that week so they would look the other way you know what i'm saying so th there was there was there was love now there was other sides where you got in trouble and you know things like that but how were you able to navigate being out and you were a public figure before i mean you really were in our town of lompoc shout out to lompoc we want to put it on the map but well, we're going to talk about lompoc too oh we sure. are and and when we think about lompoc um, during that time, you were a person that was out there, like you were known, things like that. How were you able to deal with with that and knowing that, I mean, literally, we didn't get school closed. You didn't get school closed from the time that you were in eighth grade to the time you graduated from high school. Um, we didn't have we didn't have the means to be able to have it. Um, you were having thrift store closed before it was cool, um, living in a one bedroom apartment, but you almost had these two lives. How were you able to navigate those? Um, you know, I, I, I think again, it just kind of goes back to like early years and growing up and just dealing with a lot of, a lot of things, um, and a lot of adverse adversity and challenges from, from an early, early age, um, you know, moving around a lot, you know, uh, dad being in the, our dad being in the military and transitioning to various places and so having to sort of navigate those social environments and making new friends, um, you know, I was always uh, the smallest kid uh, on any team I ever played on. I was always the, the, the little guy. Um, I was never uh, fast. I was never, um, you know, the most athletic. But um, from an early, early age, like I just took on this uh, – this this uh persona of just you know being trying to be the hardest worker like trying to be the hardest worker uh on the field um on the court or where whatever environment i was 
I was in, like I, I was never going to, I was never going to beat the fastest guys in the sprints, but I was going to, I was going to make them work as hard as they possibly could to beat me. Right. Like, so um, I, I, I just kind of grew up in that environment of like working as hard as I could and kind of always being the the little guy and the underdog and, but the hardest, but the hardest worker. And, and for me, it was always about like making not, not just myself better, but like my team and my environment better because th- there were so many people that were much more talented and much more skilled than I was that um, I wanted them to be their best versions as well. And so like, if I'm working hard and pushing them, I might never catch them, but I'm going to help them become better, uh, better athletes or better people. And um, so, and that, and I think even today that's carried on into my, into my life today. Um, But, you know, growing up sort of that with that sort of attitude and then being really, to be honest with you, being very blessed to um, have, um, have encountered some amazing coaches in my life early on that um, saw something uh, in me that maybe I didn't even see or, you know, were, were encouraging, um, gave me an opportunity. And I, I use that, I don't want to say gave, but, you know, uh, provided an environment that allowed me to earn an opportunity, right? Like, you, I don't ever want to be given anything. And that's the same thing with my kids. Like, like, you know, I, I don't ever want anybody to give them anything. Nobody's ever given me a damn thing. And nobody's ever given my kids a, a damn thing, even at times, even a look or even an opportunity. But it's about being in an environment that will allow you to earn that, those opportunities. And so that's the way we've tried to raise our, our children. And so, um, you know, just just being uh and, and, and that carrying into through junior high and then into high school. And again, uh, you got to understand the context being I'm still incredibly insecure. I don't have a lot of confidence. So how I've got to combat that is to work as hard as I possibly can. Like I don't have the physical tools, uh, the athletic tools to just simply, you know, rely on 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 those things and take it easy like i've got to be the hardest working person in any environment i'm in in order to be um to be impactful in order to be a better or the best version of of myself and i never wanted to just be an average person or an average player or you know i was a i was a below average student until i got to college but I never, uh, and, 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 and that was only once it clicked was only because I decided I wanted to be, I wanted to be competitive in that environment. Up until that point, I never really had a desire to be competitive in an academic environment because I had my, my I had my, my, uh, arena, my arena was sports. So I knew I could always like be competitive in those, in, in those areas. Um, and, and it wasn't until athletics were taken away taken away from me and I was no longer in those competitive environments that I was like okay well I've got to I've got to turn I've got this inside of me right like I, I have this competitive drive and spirit and desire like I, I, I've got it's I got to find a release and thankfully um, you know I had academics at the time so I just turned my competitive 
drive and emotions and focus in towards that arena and it and again uh i was I, i'm not a smart guy i'm not an intelligent guy um but i was i worked my tail off i studied a lot i studied a lot um i worked really really hard i was a poor test take taker i i i had a a terrible uh, act for any of you young people out there that might be listening i had a terrible act I bombed my SAT, um, I, and then when I when it came time to try to get into law school, I had an awful LSAT score, the lowest LSAT score of any entering uh, first year student in my law school class. Um, but I worked hard. Like I just, I just, I'm a grinder, man. Like I'm just, I, I say it to you all the time. Um, you know, you and I are two of the grittiest MFers uh, that that people will encounter. Um, and, and if somebody, you know, sees that our positivity or our, our attitude or our approach, um, and they ask, you know, how or why it's like, because this is, you know, 40 plus years of getting my teeth kicked in, you know, like getting my ass kicked and being broken down, but just being like, I'm just going to pull myself back up. And life is, is all about like, getting yourself up off the ground, taking that next step. And, and I recently had this conversation with my daughter because she was struggling with something. And I just explained to her, I was like, you know, your dad, me, is the biggest loser you ever encountered. Like I have lost more than anybody you've ever met in your life. And, but losses and setbacks and challenges aren't the things that define us we're defined by how we uh, deal with those and how we uh, exhibit integrity and character through those times. And it's about picking yourself back up and moving forward. And sometimes it's just about taking that next step. And with every next step, the next step becomes a little easier. And then you just move on. I mean, you're never going to be successful in life until you get to the, until you get to a point where you're, willing to uh, risk failure and and chances are the most successful people that we see or observe in our lives have 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 experienced and suffered the most loss right um so that's just kind of the way uh i, I approach it and, and approach things through my young life but i i you know to, to provide that sort of context i think is important so when you're when you're looking at it i mean you were talking about the competitive spirit right and growing up in, in, in what we did. Um, and I'm not trying to say again, that we grew up with absolutely nothing. I was just about to put a post today that said, uh, we came from nothing and then dot, 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 but love, right. Um, we recovered, we recovered in this, in this love part of it. I mean, we may have not had the clothes, we may have not had those things, but we were always told that we could. Um, but you were again, a product of a 16 and a 19 year old, um, you know, you, there was some, there was some rough stuff. I mean, there were some things that, you know, didn't make you super happy and what was, I mean, but you had this competitive drive for those people out there listening that maybe have that in them. Um, but just don't know how to turn it towards the right thing. You, you came to this almost, you know, figurative fork in the road and you could have either become an angry kid who turned that on themselves and self-destructed or turned it and honestly made everyone better around you, made yourself better. And you're not the type of parent that you grew up with. How were you able to break that cycle? 
And not to say that our parents are bad. They were amazing. But you grew up with, a, I call him dad. During this time, he's pops now. Everybody loves pops. Most, <laughs> most people don't know dad. And dad was the one that was, you know, making you mow lawns before you go uh, with your friends, um, making you come straight home from the, the baseball field when you wanted to play with your friends and, and then kicking you off the, uh, the baseball team. This could cause an angry kid to happen. Why and how were you able to turn that and, and push it towards the positive? And when did, was it a switch or was it something natural in you? Um, was it something that was constructed? Um, well, I don't know that I don't, I don't pretend, uh, you know, that, that it was some conscious decision that like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, as, as a, as a young child, I'm going to be, I'm just going to be positive and focus on the positive and the good. And, you know, I, I was, a I was, a I was an, I was an angry kid. I was a, dis, a very disruptive kid. Um, you know, shout out to all my Vandenberg middle school teachers who put up with my ass and principal <laughs> and assistant principal. I was disruptive in class. I was probably, you know, one of those kids that myself as a parent would steer, would, would, would likely steer my kids away from. I, I mean, I certainly wouldn't want my daughter who, uh, who ironically is about to turn 16 um, to, to gravitate towards a guy like me uh, when I was, when I was that age. Right. So I, but I think, I think it was all about um, just trying to survive and navigate, right. Like, and watching our parents and, and, and specifically watching mom, like watching mom just try to survive in the most difficult of circumstances, right. Like just holding on and watching that and seeing it and seeing that, you know, it was possible and, and her setting that example and knowing how bad it was for her and for us. And yet we were still there, right? Like we still woke up the next morning. We were still like moving, you know, we were still moving on. Right. And so I don't think it's this thing where like, I mean, you know me better than anybody other than, you know, maybe my wife, but you know, you know that there is a side of me that is like super pessimistic, super skeptical, cynical. You know, I'm that guy that you're, you're like you, you're like, oh, this is so-and-so. They're awesome. And I'm like, they're, they're an asshole. Like, you know, they're not a good person, right? Like, you know, that part of me. So I don't think it's this thing where all of a sudden, you know, at some point in my young adulthood or young life where I was like, oh, I'm going to be, you know, super positive and things are going to be great because they are great. And, you know, no, I think it was, I'm, I'm trying to survive, man. Like I'm trying to figure this shit out. Like I'm trying to, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to um, survive. Uh, mom and dad don't even know how they're going to make ends meet. But I think what we constantly heard growing up was, was everything is going to be okay. Right. Like that. And it almost got annoying to me. It almost got like, seriously, like, I know it's going to be okay, but can't it just be okay, right? Like, can't we just stop the madness and then not have to, you know, deal with the repercussions of the madness? But hearing everything is going to be okay, everything's going to be okay, everything's going to be okay. And, you know, uh, yeah, I'm so proud of you. You're the greatest. Uh, uh, 
every anything is possible. Like that's pretty much what we heard. And beyond that, from Dad, we heard breathe and drink water. Pray. Um, what's that? Pray. 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 Oh, yeah. Eat, pray. drink. Oh, yeah. Drink water. Pray. Uh, and breathe. Right. But well, that's when you know, uh, uh, Brother Tom uh, <laughs> became the thirteenth disciple. But up until I was probably twelve, this dude was not the the guy that everybody you know knows now. Like I meet random strangers, like, "Oh, your dad, Tom, he's the best," you know, and I'm like, "No, he is. He's awesome." Like, but like, and I, you know, he, and God bless him. Like we just had this conversation you know, a couple of days ago in person, we we're able to share and, and uh, discuss things openly and candidly. And I think it's therapeutic for all of us, right. For, for us as a family. Um, but um, no, I, I think, I think again, it goes back to that like mindset and resiliency, right? Like you're building those muscles over years and years and years and years and years. And then when you get to a point in your life and you real and you look back on it, right? And you're like, man, we we've come through so much, and we've 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 overcome so much, and we've accomplished so much. And you know what? Everything is going to be okay. And you know what? Anything is possible because look at all of the stuff that that has happened in our life. And so now, when I face challenges or adversity or obstacles, man, I just look at them as opportunities. There's, if there's an opportunity to grow, an opportunity to learn. Listen, it's not like I'm like, yay, you know, a challenge or a setback, but it's like, okay, I allow myself to digest it, right? I, I, I collect myself, I take a breath, and then we, 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 we diagram and, we, dis, and we, we identify what the real, real big issue is, and then we formulate a plan and we try to create, you know, a win-win for everybody and we navigate and we solve problems, man. You know, we figure it out. I mean, it, it, it's all capable of being figured out. Right. So. Well, I think watching, watching things over, over time, right. When you said that, you know, uh, you had been through a lot of adversities, um, you know, in your life and, and it kind of forges you. And then you come upon another thing that's challenging and you say it's an opportunity. Um, I look at it when we were talking to, we just saw him, uh, Eric Strickland, Eric Strickland, uh, you know, shout out to him. We love him. Pro athlete, phenomenal guy. One of the fiercest competitors that I've ever seen. Um, he told me that he, his dad would have him play against, you know, 19 and 20 year olds when he was 12 and 13 years old. And and he wouldn't protect Eric from it. And then I think about, um, uh, you know, Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson, you know, got in the ring very early on, and he, uh, Custom Auto, put him against men, and he was beating men. And then I think about uh, even, you know, further on, you think about in the Bible when, uh, when David, when David came up upon, uh, uh, upon the Philistine and upon Goliath, and he said to his dad, I've killed bears, I've killed lions, so this guy is no challenge. And it's amazing to see you, you know, because what I'm hearing from you is that, you know, you fought grown men when you, you fought grown circumstances when you were a kid. So now when you're a grown man, you know, bring these things. And I, I watch you, man, this, again, this killer spirit is something that I've always been enamored um, with, but I think it comes like a lot of times it comes from things that we see. 
talk to me about something specifically that you saw in mom. Cause I think the mom was one of the strongest women that I've ever seen in my life because she allowed, even though she had the ability to do things, she allowed, she stepped back sometimes and allowed our dad to do things that made him feel more like a man. Does that make sense? And I saw that. So tell me, tell us and tell our listeners a specific that you saw mom doing that you said like that helps me to understand, not only hear the words, but that it's going to be okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, you know, some of my earliest memories, um, were, I remember distinctly, um, as a, as a, as an eight-year-old mom and dad sitting you and I down. So you would have been about five. You certainly wouldn't have understood or comprehended this. And I think it's incredibly unfair, uh, but it goes to the heart of where mom and dad were right at the time, like super young, early twenties, uh, thinking that mom is 24 at this time. Yeah. Thinking that we, you know, I had the mental capacity or competency to even, you know, comprehend what was being said, but they sat us both down and they, they said, we, you know, we, we have to talk to you guys. We've decided to get a divorce. And I was like thinking to myself, my initial thought was, why are you telling us this? Right. And then obviously um, uh, it was like, well, because you don't even understand the concept or I didn't certainly at the time, but watching mom navigate life uh, from that point, um, you know, mom took absolute control of the situation. So um, one of my favorite characters, I just posted this last week because I got this as a gift for my birthday last week. One of my favorite uh, fictional characters, uh, my favorite quote and from my absolute favorite movie, my, uh, uh, you know, Pulp Fiction, Winston Wolf uh, has this quote where he's introduced into a very seemingly, uh, you know, incomprehensible situation. And he introduces himself simply as I'm Winston Wolf. I solve problems. And uh, that character resonates with me on so many levels because I think he epitomizes uh, so many of the foundational leadership qualities that I aspire uh, to have and withhold, you know, uh, uphold in my life. Um, But also it resonates with me because mom was um, that sort of, figure because she was able to be like, listen, imagine being 24 years old with two young kids, no job, no education, and you're faced with, I'm getting a divorce. And mom, I never saw mom panic. What I saw mom do was maintain her cool, assess the situation, develop a plan, execute her plan and explain to us not only how to how the plan was going to get executed but how it was going to get executed to perfection and so and i watched her do that repeatedly through our life you know if you can recall it was okay we were in idaho living at the time in mountain home and and it was like okay well i'm going to go to school and at night because i've got to get a job and so she she started bartending and she did what she needed to do um, to provide and protect her two kids. And you know what? Like there was never panic because I think from a leadership standpoint, like your team, 
whether you're coaching, whether you're a leader in your business, you know, you're a leader in your household, um, you can't exhibit panic because your team is going to take on the attitude and the behavior and they're going to feed off your energy. And so I, I don't ever recall panicking as a young kid, as an eight, as an eight year old, it was like, okay, cool. Like mom's get, you know, going to school and going to work and we're going to figure it out. And I remember she got us a babysitter and I remember uh, his name was Sean and I got pissed off because all he would do is come over and eat our cereal. And I was like, man, that's our cereal. So I went, I remember going to mom and one of my first uh, uh, negotiated arguments in front of <laughs> in front of a judici- a, a judiciary <laughs> was convincing mom that her eight year old and five year old didn't need a babysitter that I could take care of myself <laughs> and you um, and and she uh, agreed and so I won my first uh, first real argument. And from that point on, there wasn't this panic. And so I watched it there. I watched her complete her education. I watched her, you know, move us to various places, um, you know, and, and, and throughout our life, you know, there was, there was reconciliation and then there was separation. That, that was a pattern that continued throughout even our adult life, right? Um, but I watched it uh, again, um, as as a teenager when they when they again split and i watched mom again uh at the time you know hadn't hadn't worked for a couple years and being faced with the you know the prospect of another separation or divorce from from dad and i watched her um execute like in the face of like where she could have just broke down and like given up or even like become devastated and take a day or two to like cry in bed or like, you know, but she just handled business, man. Like to watch her um, get things together and go to her boss and negotiate for a little bit of a raise so that she could make $11 an hour to support you and I and, and guy who was a senior in high school at the time. Uh, uh, or a junior rather in high school at the time and, and go get us a one bedroom apartment. And um, the three of us boys had the room, you know, we slept in sleeping bags and mom slept in the living room, you know, uh, on a couch, sometimes on the floor. Uh, we didn't have a TV. Um, you know, we had one car. I mean, you and I <laughs> walked to, we literally walked, over a mile to the bus stop, right? Um, to catch a bus to then that, that that took us to another bus stop to take us to school, right? Like, and and to watch her do that and live and navigate and never complain and never ask for support and um, never um, talk negatively about our father, mm. um, although she absolutely could have and deservedly could have never talk negatively about our circumstance mm. and was, and always maintain this level of positivity and imagine the humility and the humble heart that she had to have had to a accept help from other people to accept bags of clothes from people that she could provide to us, you know, for school clothes 
as an eighth grader at the time, as a sixth grader at the time. Um, and just to see her humble herself and make all those sacrifices, like, I mean, come on. If you're telling me that as an adult, like, I'm not going to make it, shit, like, you just gave me the formula for success. <laughs> so. Well, I think about the one time, I, this just came up when you were talking about it, and I didn't, I hadn't thought about it in a long time. Um, but it was a Valentine's dance, and mom had bought me, it was sixth grade, we were in the one-bedroom apartment, she had bought me a whole white outfit and um, black suspenders, because that's what I wanted. And, you know, we didn't, I'm thinking about it now, she didn't have any money to be able to do this, but that's what I wanted, and she got it for me. And I remember it was, it was raining outside, and I was running with my buddies at VMS, and I fell and I fell in the mud and, uh, I went to the office and I called, I, I called her at work and, um, I'm probably going to lose it. Oh. Um, she, uh, took off of work and brought me another, pair, brought me another pair of pants and, uh, <laughs> They were elastic waistband, um, <laughs> white, white yeah, pants, yeah. and they were they were women's pants. And I remember getting them and being mad, like, "Why are you going to bring me some women's pants?" Yeah. But the resilience—I mean, you know, she's she's working um, during that time, and and she goes and does that. Yeah. Um, it's it's crazy. So uh, a part that I want to segue to is you were talking about walking one uh, one mile each way to the bus stop. There was something on the way to the bus stop um, that I think was ingrained a little bit earlier, but kind of uh, epitomizes what your business is today. And it was a little candy store. Yeah. Um, can you talk about the candy store? Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it, what, it wasn't my first entrepreneurial enterprise. What was the first one? The uh, the first one was my uh, was forced upon me uh, with you know dad forcing me to cut grass. Hey, tell me three words. I'm going to say them to you, and then I want you to continue on with the story. But I want you to add this in. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so, um, you know the first the first entrepreneurial enterprise was uh, we had just moved to Vandenberg Air Force Base you know, in the, in the summer, June of 1984. Um, and, uh, it was the first time in a long, long time that you and I were going to get our own bedrooms. Right. And, um, I was all excited cause it was a summer and, and, you know, you want to meet kids and you're in this new neighborhood. And I remember like dad, I remember dad coming home and, uh, with a, with a new lawnmower and he's like, you know, I got a new lawnmower and I was like, cool, like whatever. Like, I don't, I don't give a shit. It's a lawnmower. <laughs> and he's like, and he push, he kind of nudges it towards me. He's like, all right, well now go cut grass. And I was like, what, what? And he's like, I want you to walk this around to people's houses and knock on their door and see if they need their grass cut. And I was like, what? <laughs> so, I mean, it was, it was incredibly embarrassing. Right. Um, and, and, and it was, I mean, it, I didn't get, I wasn't, you know, I wanted to play and have fun and like go enjoy the, the, the summer. And I'm, be, you know, I'm being told I gotta, I gotta push this lawnmower around. And so I learned, you know, I had to learn like from a very early age to like 
I mean, and people don't realize like how incredibly like em- embarrassing and, and nerve wracking that can be to go up to a stranger's house. Nowadays, no, nobody wants, I don't want any MF for knocking on my front door. Like if I don't know you, you should not be at my front door. Unless you're delivering Amazon Prime or Grubhub or postmating my food, I don't want you at my front door. So, you know, so to have to knock on somebody's door and then they look at you like, okay, what the, what the hell? Hey, do you, would you like your lawn mowed? Right. Um, and then having to formulate a price and ha- what I'm going to do. And, 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 uh, and, uh, $10, but, $10 front and back $5 for the front $3. If you wanted it edged, I still yeah, remember it. Well, yeah. So, so here I was making, you know, $10 a pop, but, but, you know, it forced me to like, really like um get comfortable being uncomfortable right which i think is like listen if you want to if you want to achieve anything of substance in life anything of importance in life you got to be get comfortable being uncomfortable and so i was very very uncomfortable and i had to learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable and i started um you know my own little i'll call it my own little lawn service and making 10, 12, 13 bucks a clip. And I, and I would, I would go around, I would cut the grass, you know, every week or every two weeks. And then I would go around every two weeks to collect my money. And, and, uh, you know, I remember there being, I distinctly remember a time where, you know, dad made me, we lived on the off base side of housing, right? Like for those people who were familiar with the landscape of Vandenberg Air Force Base back in the mid eighties. So we, we lived on the off side base of how base housing, and I remember uh, dad making me push my lawnmower all the way to the on base side, right. To, to uh, solicit <laughs> new clients, right. New, you know, new, new customers. Cause, cause, cause his 12 year old needed, you know, to make money. And here's the funny thing. It's not like dad was sending me out there to like, Hey son, go make money so you can help support the family. It was like, no, you go, <laughs> you know, my money was my money. Like, so it wasn't like I was, it wasn't like I was sitting around going, man, I, I want to, I want to learn how to make money and I want to make money. Dad was just like, here's a lawnmower, get your ass out there and go cut some grass. And I was like, but for what? Like, but it, it instilled that in me early on, right. To hustle and to grind and, and, and to be a little bit entrepreneurial. And, uh, but I, I do remember distinctly this time where he, he made me miss a football practice, uh, uh, so that I could cut grass. And I remember pushing the lawnmower and I'm already like what seemed to be miles away from home, right? Like, I don't know how far it necessarily was, but to a 12 year old, 13 year old, that, sh- that shit was like three, four, five miles. Right. But I'm, I, and it could have been like a mile, but I, I, anyway, I remember pushing that lawnmower and looking over and seeing my teammates practice. And I'm like, this is awful. Like I'm, I'm sacrificing uh, that opportunity is something that I really enjoy to do this. Um, and, and, and to be fair, I, you know, I, and we, we, we shared this the other day when we were talking with dad, dad wasn't doing that to instill some work ethic in me to be like, I want my son to like, you know, have work ethic and, and learn how to work hard. And I'm teaching principles here. He was just doing that shit to be an ass. Like he, <laughs> <laughs> Hold up for right? a second. Like he was just doing that to be because 
he he grew up in that rough sort of tough environment as well and so um you know but but the but the second the second uh entrepreneurial enterprise um that you were referring to the the candy store was actually arguably maybe my also my my first and only you know potentially criminal enterprise and that was it wasn't criminal but uh in you know is when we would on our way to to school uh to the bus stop i believe it was was it tony's marketplace i believe i think so yeah so we we would ride the bus and uh i remember there was a there was a kid on the bus right like and remember he um he uh, was he was started selling now and later packs. Remember the little now and laters, and uh, I think uh, was it uh, was it the Jolly Rancher sticks? Yes, right. Yeah. So it was, and I remember him selling them for thirty five cents a piece. The little packs, so they came with like maybe five or ten now and laters in them, and he was selling them for thirty five cents a pop. And uh, I remember thinking, man, I can do this, and this sounds really shitty but I'm more popular than this kid. Like people will want to buy from me. Right. Again. And, and we'll tie this all up because these are all business principles, right? Cause in, we're all in sales. People are buying us. They're not necessarily buying that product. You can get that product anywhere. They're buying us. And so we got to keep that in, 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 in perspective. And so I thought, you know, this is my arrogant 12 uh, year old self or at the time, I think I was 14 at the time rather. Cause I, uh, uh, I thought, man, I'm more popular than this kid. I'm going to undercut him. I'm going to sell mine for 25 cents. So we, you and I would stop at the, uh, at, at the, at the market. And I think I had a dollar. So I was able to buy, they were 10 cents a piece at the store. So I was able to buy 10. So I bought 10 and then I got on the bus and I sold, uh, them for 20. I started saying, I'm selling mine for 25 cents. So I totally undercut this poor bastard. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's so bad. Like I, I eliminated this guy's enterprise, right? He's probably at home right now putting on lipstick. He's got like a picture of me with this assault rifle. He wants to shoot me uh, because I ruined his business. Um, but so the first day I, I make two dollars and 50 cents. So I turn this dollar 50 profit. And then on, so then on the way home that day, we stop at the store and I now I have two dollars and 50 cents. So I go all in. You know, I, I don't have, you know, much of a business acumen at the time, which I largely still don't. You know, maybe I should have invested a little bit of it. Maybe I should have saved a little bit of it, started my own little 401k or something. But I went all in. I was like, two, give me 20, you know, I want $2.50 worth. So now I started turning this profit at, at, uh, at school. And I remember there being days when I would make like 20, 30, $40 a day. And I'm like, man, that's baller money, dude. I'm like, you know, like making it rain on the bus. And uh, then you all of a sudden are like, well, I, I can do this too. You know, you, you were like, you know, I, I, that my brother, like he's the capitalist, like people will buy from me because, you know, I'm, I'm Rob's brother. So you started doing it. Hey, but, hey you know, you're not telling the, the part of it. You, I actually asked you for some now and laters and you sold them to me for 25 cents. <laughs> That was the thing. You were like, yeah, okay, it's a quarter. So I was like, all right, so I did, and I bought them for your profit, so I put profit in your pocket. I I was trying to give you some wholesale. (laughs) No, you didn't. You gave them to me for 25 cents, and then I remember I ate two of them, went back to class, and then a kid asked me, hey, can I have an outlater? And I was like, you can buy them. And and I sold the three 
of the, the remaining three for 25 cents. And I thought I made a profit. And then I went back to you and you sold me again a 25 cent now and later yeah. pack. So yeah. just go ahead. Go ahead. Keep going. Uh, yeah. No, well, I, you know, I wanted to uh, leave that part of the, you know, the, the, the true, the true baller hustler uh, aspect of it. But, that was some Jay-Z today, stuff right that's there. That's funny, dude. That, that's a good one. Um, but at any rate, I remember then you started, you know, trying to flip, you know, your get into the now and later game, like, you know, and, uh, and then you got caught by the principal and then you ratted your brother out, uh, to get a lesser sentence. Yeah, I sure did. I, well, and you don't, and, tell- then, and then my business got, you know, flushed down the toilet. Cause I got called in the principal's <laughs> office and they're like, Hey, are you selling candy on campus? And I was like, no, like I was so like incredulous. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, you know, there's no way. And they're like, and then they brought you out like the star witness, you know? And, and I was like, oh man, like I totally got ratted out, dude. Dude, I turned but states, I turned bro, states evidence. <laughs> I turned states evidence. But the thing you didn't tell was you were faster than me. And I remember distinctly getting off the bus and you being faster. So you ran to Tony's market and you got there quicker because the, the apple, the watermelon, and the yeah. grape were the popular ones, and you bought up all of them and left me. My last purchase was chocolate and banana yeah. now and later. And I learned that it's not just about buying product. <laughs> you got to buy product that people actually want. I thought that yeah. if I just had it, then they would right. get it. But right. you taught me that lesson by being faster than me. So let's talk about this because I think a lot of times people are good at a skill and they think that it will translate to entrepreneurship. You are one of the unicorns in life because you are phenomenal. One of the best in the business at your skill in the law game. You are one of the best and you also have entrepreneurial acumen. This is not natural and it's not normal because a lot of times people think and not every doctor should own his own practice. Not every hairdresser should own their own salon. Um, they can, but it takes a whole different skill set. Let's talk about the skill sets that you've learned over the last four or five years. Is it been five years now with the firm? Uh, four, we're four and a half years in. Four and a half years in, almost five years with uh, Cardenas Law Group. So tell us some of the, the, the lessons that you learned because you worked in a larger firm before and then you went into this entrepreneurship and, and literally it was amazing because you were able to succeed because you had both. But let's talk about that. Yeah. First of all, like, I don't, I don't believe, uh, in natural skill or talent, like carrying the day. I believe that there are certain people that are like, that are born with like maybe some physical tools or have some like natural ability maybe early on. But I believe that you've got to really, really work hard. Like there's this cliche thing where, you know, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. I I wholeheartedly believe that. Um, so I, I think that um, in terms of what we do um, and to, you know, I think we're able to be effective of what we do because we focus on our strengths and I'm uh, aware of my weaknesses and I remain vulnerable and, ac- and, and accountable for uh, my mistakes and my, uh, and my weaknesses um, to step back a little bit um and I appreciate the reference of being, you know, the, the unicorn analysis, but I think this, I failed so many times at so many things before this, that it's not like, you know, uh, everything I set out to do just, you know, was like turned to gold. It was failure after failure after failure. And, and, 
and and making so many mistakes along the way and and but yet ha- and, and constantly searching for my identity and my purpose and what I wanted to do in life and to be honest with you like I, I didn't know what I wanted to do until probably about four or five years ago right mm-hmm. like up until that point I was like searching did I want to be in-house counsel did I want to did I want to be a sports agent? Did I want to be, you know, a talent manager? You know, I, 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 I had done litigation for 15, 16 years. And, and I, I and I, I, I never, I, I could never honestly say, man, I love what I do. Right. Like for me at that point in time, it was, a, it was a part of my journey and it was a part of like uh, building uh, my uh, resume, so to speak, not in terms of the actual paper resume, but like building, establishing credibility and getting, getting life experience and getting work experience all the while, like trying to figure out what is, what is, what is it that I want to do? And so, you know, after failure and failure in life and all of the setbacks, and I mean, it goes back to being, you know, the time I was a little kid and and being younger and all of the times, um, you know, I, I, I didn't achieve what I thought I should achieve. And then um, it was through the urging and encouragement of my wife to start our own practice. Um, and, and a lot of that stemmed from um, dissatisfaction and where we uh, were at in our personal and professional life, not in terms of our marriage, but in terms of like, how things were progressing, right? Like in our life. And I start, and I, and by that point, I'm in my, I'm, I'm, I'm 40, 41, 42 at the time. And I'm looking at it and I go, man, like, I just thought, like, I have so much in me and I have so much desire and, and so much competitive drive. Like, this can't be it. Like, this is not where I am supposed to end up. And so with my wife's encouragement, and my children's encouragement, and your encouragement, and your wife's encouragement, and watching certain people in my life, like set out and do things. And it gave me hope, and encouragement, and faith and belief that we might be able to do this. And then the biggest thing for me was when we when we when we when we launched it, when we launched it, Um, I remember calling you and telling you, dude, I am going to go at this harder than I've ever gone at anything in my life. Like you don't even understand how hard I'm going to work on this. And I think when you, when you, when you approach it that way and you have this voice message that you've had forever and it's become kind of a signature line for you, that commitment eliminates options. So when you, when you, when you eliminate the option of failure, you eliminate the option of plan B and there's only plan A and I'm all in and I'm fully invested. Like there's no option, but success. And the big, big thing for me was having the support and encouragement of my family, my wife, my wife, never once wavering, never once being anxious, never once coming to me and going, Oh my goodness. Um, we, when we, when we literally were down to our last $5,000 saying, 
oh my God, we don't, how are we going to make the mortgage payment? How are we going to, you know, pay, uh, uh, pay for, <laughs> pay for uh, health insurance and all these various things. Never once doing that when conventional wisdom says she could have or should have. And then my kids looking at me with this sort of naive, like belief and just like this expectation of success. Like, of course, we're going to be successful. Like, of course, you're a success. Like, you know, it's and 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 when you have that, when you come, when you work hard and you come home and you've got that with your family, you're like, well, damn, I'm not letting them down. Like they believe in me. Like that's all I dude. Honestly, that's all I need. Like they believe in me and they'll be able to carry me through any points in time where I have, where I waver in either my faith or my belief. And to be honest with you, there's only been one time. There was one time and it was in September of 2017. We were about 15 months in and um, I made, I, I brought in, I didn't make, I brought in $1,400 that month. Right. That's not profit. That's not making. That's I brought in $1,400 that month. And I signed up zero cases. And I remember coming home and it's as close to a panic attack that I've ever, I, I, I don't know that I've ever had one to the extent that was a panic attack, then okay, it was a panic attack. But I remember coming home and, and walking upstairs into our bedroom, into the bathroom, shutting the bathroom door and like taking a deep breath and, and verbally out loud, Lord, what did I do? Like, did I make a mistake? And I allowed myself that sort of, you know, moment, <laughs> a real, real moment, a moment of vulnerability. And I can discuss it now because it's real. And I think it, I think people need to experience and hear those levels of vulnerability and that it's okay. And, you know, I wasn't a point of being fearful. If I, if ever I've been afraid in my life, um, that was a time, right? Um, and I remember coming out of the, the bathroom and thinking, okay, I got to pull it together because I've got to put on my game face for my family. Like I cannot show any level of, of weakness or insecurity or doubt because they are, I'm leading them and they're believing in me and I've got to, I've got to make this thing work, whatever we got to do. And ironically, um, what was put on my heart at that moment was, you know, okay, in, in the midst of making literally no, in the midst of losing money, right. Uh, and bringing in no clients, what was brought to me was, okay, um, now it's time to, um, get a bigger, get your, get your first real office. Cause up at the point of that, up to that point, I had been literally renting a, a 120 foot space office within my friend's uh, business. And so it was brought to me was, okay, you've got to now step out and get your own office. And so then I, I literally began at that moment to pray for um, the right words to have that, that discussion with my wife and to pray for, her heart to be able to receive those words and that, and that idea, because I'm like, I'm literally like, we made no money, we lost money. And now you're 
about to tell your wife that we need to like re-up, right? Like we need to increase our overhead, right? And so um, I took a couple days before having that conversation. And let's be real, we've been there. Like you're a husband, you've been married to Brooke a long time. You've had those conversations where you're like, you can front all you want about I'm the man or, you know, but I got this, but there are certain conversations that I, you just don't want to have. And that was one. And I remember like, okay, like, Hey honey, I think this is what we should do. And she was like, Oh my gosh, I feel the same way. I think that that's, I've been thinking the same thing. And I was like, Oh Lord, like that's, you know, an amazing thing. And so um, we were able to transition into the building that we're in now. Um, And and that's kind of when things sort of, you know, took off for us a little bit, but in, you know, in terms of, in terms of what, what we do and we try to focus on, you know, I, I try to focus on being doing one thing better than anyone else in, in my industry. And I, listen, I don't claim to be the best at what I do. Um, I am not uh, uh, the best by any means, but I will say that I am the best and we are the best at this one thing that we do. Like, and I would put us up against anyone in the community, in the industry, and that's nationwide. Like, that's just not in the Valley. And I may come across as being narcissistic or egotistical or arrogant, but like, I'm just being real. Like, we uh, take care of people better than anyone else. Uh, our focus is taking care of people. And that starts with taking care of ourselves and taking care of the people that are in this office, um, taking really, really good care of them. And then that extends out to taking care of our clients. We communicate, uh, we take care of them, we serve them, we put the needs of others ahead of ourselves. And again, that starts here. A lot of businesses, they have it kind of backward. You'll hear them say the customer is the most important thing. And I'm not saying that the customer is not super important and that they, you know, they don't drive business, but the most important aspect of your business is your people, like the people that are in your building. Yes. And so they're the priority and they're number one and taking good care of them. As a result, if you take good care of them, they're going to take good care of not only you, but the, the people that we serve. And so focusing on service and serving others and being, um, you know, a, a, a purpose driven company and um, Simon Sinek, whose book like really resonates me, start with why, like really, right, like, you know, honing in on your why, why do we do what we do? You know, we love to be of service to people. We love to um, take care of good people. Um, you know, how we do it, we communicate effectively. We love people. Uh, we take really good care of them. And then lastly, and least importantly, what do you do? Um, we're a personal injury firm. But by the time we get to that, you already are all in. You already have bought who we are because of why we do it, not what we do or how we do it. Right? Does that make sense? Absolutely. Well, it's interesting. It's interesting to hear you say it because I, I've never I've never heard you say it in that way. Um, again, I'm, I get a chance to be around you all the time, um, not as much as I'd like to. Um, I'd like to be around you more. I'd like you to move next door to me so I could just hang out with you all the time. <laughs> but when I, when I hear this, and it's a common theme through all the things that, that you talk about, it, and you summed it up with, you know, the least important is what we do. We're a personal injury firm, right? And 
I look at this and I, I've questioned this over the years because literally anything you've ever turned your focus towards, I mean, people can say this is subjective because I'm your biggest fan and, and you're my, my hero, but everything you've turned your focus to has like exploded and, and has been amazing. I remember watching the UFC. We watched the UFC one the first time and we watched that and uh, Hoist Gracie and Ken Shamrock and watching them. Was it one or two? I think it was one or two. One, it was one of those. And I remember watching them and we got into it. Well, then I turn around years later and you're in the UFC, not fighting in the UFC, but representing fighters at the highest level. Let's talk about that because literally, honestly, you used the same discipline in the, in the UFC aspect as you did in football, as you did when you focused in on college and now when you're in your, in your own business. Um, but let's talk about that time um, because you represented some phenomenal fighters and had touch, uh, you know, had touch with, with people who were so untouchable to us at the time. What gave you that permission coming from Lompoc, 35,000 people, what gave you the permission mentally to go out and do that? Um, I'm, I'm a big believer in the law of attraction. I'm a big believer in like, you know, what you put out, um, you know, it, you can, you can attract and, and achieve. And so I'm, I'm also a big proponent of talking about your dreams and your goals um, and, and verbalizing them because it will, um, it, it puts it out there, but it also holds you accountable. Right. So I think, you know, from, from my, my experience in the world of MMA, it was, it was, you know, being a tremendous fan and loving the sport and then recognizing a need. So recognizing a need that was there. And one of the things that, that, that we kind of talk about internally a lot when we're meeting with somebody, right. Is okay. Do they have, do they need help? Right. Like, does this person need help? Do you need help? And then the next question becomes, can we help you? Right. Cause not everybody needs our help. Right. And not everybody, and we can't help everybody, right? Like, so, so in that arena, being in that environment and seeing, man, these people, there's a lot of these people that need help. And I, and I started to identify a need and I was like, I can feel that need. Like I can really help them and putting it out there and like really, really desiring it and really, really wanting it. And I, and I do believe like we can literally, if we start to, you know, start today go outside, take a deep breath and start to allow yourself to believe the impossible, right? Like to really, really believe it. Like whatever it is that you want in life, like you're big, big, like you, you said it in your, in the intro that you sent me last night, like your, your, your big grandiose vision, right? Like if we allowed ourselves to really believe and accept that or those things as reality, we'd be shocked at how, quickly and efficiently uh, things would start to occur if not transpire in their entirety to the point where you're going to get to it and you're going to be like, really, that's all I believed because it's much greater. I, I, I can achieve even more. I remember you taking me to the Brown, was it the Brown Derby? Brown Derby. Brown Derby. <sighs> I was in, I was in law school and I remember you taking me to the Brown Derby and you're like, I want to take you to this fancy dinner which I wouldn't, I would have been intimidated and I was and embarrassed to even think that I, they would seat me in a place like this at the time. 
because an appetizer is, it would be one of my paychecks. And you're like, I got to come anything we want, you want to eat, order, drink, whatever. And I remember getting to the end of the meal and like ordering another drink that I didn't even like because you were like, dude, we got, you know, uh, for, we got more money like that's on the comp. And I was Let's like, man, like I'm already stuffed and drunk. Like I, I don't, I don't think I can do anymore. Right. But I remember you bringing me there and you didn't tell me, Hey, I want to bring you there to open your eyes, but you brought me there. I know for the specific purpose of exposing me to something bigger and, 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 and allowing me to be comfortable in that environment that I, as a young person at the time viewed as being beyond my means, right. Or being at a level of success that I'm incapable of, of comprehending because before we can achieve it, we've got to comprehend it and believe it. Right. So it, it like opened my eyes up to like, okay, like it's okay that we're here. And two kids from Lompoc that come from a broken household and a one bedroom apartment are being served in this five star establishment and ordering a steak that is, you know, a hundred plus dollars just for a piece of meat. Right. And I'm like, this, I'm blown away by this experience. But I remember you asking me, you were like, so what is it that you want? Like, where, where you know, what, what do you want to do? Where do you envision yourself? And I remember saying specifically, I was like, dude, all I want is to make $50,000 a year and have health insurance. That's it. Because for me, coming where we had come from and having grown up in an environment with no health insurance and little to no money and seeing mom and dad struggle for years and years and years on end, um, like 50 grand was it, dude. Like 50 grand to me at that time in my life, a year, 50 grand a year with health insurance was like being the number one lottery pick in the NBA where they're like, you just, you know, you we're just giving you a hundred million dollars. Like, and, and I remember you you know, like gently, and, and you have this way about you where you, you, you are a really good listener. And, and I remember, you know, you um, letting me know that one of the reasons why we were there that evening, it was like this big reveal, you know, you have that smile that, that only you have that beams and you're like that cheesy ass grin where you're like, well, the reason why I brought you here. Right. And, and you kind of, and, and you, it was like the big reveal, like, well, this is why we're here because I want to expose you to this and open your eyes up and, you know, and, and expand on those horizons. And so I'll never forget, um, you know, the first time I called you uh, to tell you that, Hey dude, like I just, I don't like to talk about money, but I remember calling you cause I can't call. I can't, I can have this discussion with you or my wife. Yeah. I remember calling you and go, dude, I just made more this week than I, my goal was to make in a year. Right. And then, and, and then I also remember calling you uh, and, and again, uh, having the conversation with two people, my wife and then you saying, dude, I just made more money this month than I've ever made in my, in a, in one, in my most successful year. Right. Um, and not to talk about money cause it's not about money, but the idea behind it all is like opening up your, your eyes and, and, 
and, and, and your mindset and believing that those things are achievable. And so for me, when it happened with MMA, it was, I was appreciative. Don't get me wrong. Just like I am now, I'm appreciative of the level of success. And this, this might, I want to temper it because I don't want to come across as being an ass, but I expect it. Like I, I expect these things to happen because of my hard work, because of my faith, because of the good, the good work that, that I, that I put out and the people that I surround myself with. And um, I believe that good things happen uh, to good people and will continue to happen to good people. And so it's not, I a hundred percent appreciate it. I, every single day I wake up and I give thanks. I express gratitude. Um, I talk to myself on a, on it verbally out loud where people would probably think I'm clinically insane, but I'm giving thanks every day. I, 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 I live a life of gratitude. That's my foundation. Uh, but there's an expectation. And I think in fairness to, to who we are, we have to allow ourselves to expect good things and expect success in our lives. And that's the way I'm, 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 my wife and I are raising our kids is to expect good things, expect uh, success, expect happiness. Because we encounter so many people in our lives who are just down and they're looking for the next bad thing to happen and they're anticipating the last the, the next bad thing to happen and they're talking and focusing on the bad things that are happening and what we focus on grows right what we measure grows so if we're constantly focused on the negative and the negative things in life or the negative aspects of our business then guess what those things are going to continue to magnify because that's what we're focusing on as opposed to like focusing on the goodness and, and the good parts of our life and the good parts of our business and the good parts of our relationships. And then those things start to magnify and grow. And so, um, you know, for me, again, I, I, I don't want to come across as being arrogant or, or narcissistic by any means, but it comes from a place of gratitude. It comes from a spirit of gratitude. Um, at, at the same time, I'm not shocked or surprised by it because like, it's what I believe. It's what I, it's what I expect. Like it's what I work for. It's what I focus on. Right. So there, that's it. Well, I love it because you live it and even, you know, and you, you pass it on to others. And for me, I wouldn't even be married if it wasn't for your mentality. And when I say that, I remember calling you and saying that I'm having challenges in my relationship. And you said, okay, tell me. And you, you kind of braced and you were like, okay, tell me the, the challenges. And I said, well, um, we don't fight. And you were like, you, you, there was just a pause and it was almost like you were, and you were like, okay, so what's the problem? And I was like, that's the problem. We don't fight. And I said, you know, I come home, uh, you know, I, we hang out and I, you know, we go to fight and she doesn't fight. She just asked me, you know, I didn't think about it that way. Or she says that. And I remember you saying something that changed everything for me. You said, you paused and then you in that big brother way, you have that big brother thing on me. Like I'm, I'm taller than you now. Um, I outweigh you probably by about 50 pounds. Um, I'm not proud of the 50 pounds, but, um, I outweigh you. I'm bigger than you, but you got that big brother thing on me. Like you got that, that Jedi and you just paused and you said, Kel, 
it's okay to be okay. We've lived in chaos for our whole entire life. That's what you keep gravitating towards. It's okay to be okay. Allow yourself to be okay. And I remember stepping back and looking at my relationship completely different and saying that, you know, this was a phenomenal thing, not a challenge. Right. And I just, I want to applaud you in it. And I want to applaud that not only that you talk about it, but that you do it. Um, I want to, uh, you, you said something there um, in not being surprised. Right. <laughs> and, and I don't take it as a cocky thing. I don't take it as a narcissistic thing. I take it as the thing, the reason why you are my number one hero on this earth is because when I would watch you do anything, you always wanted the ball at the end of the game. When I watch you in your, in your practice, when, when the chips are down, I always see you and you want the ball. Like you want the opportunity because you know you're going to take and you're going to put the team on your back, whether it be a sports team or whether it be your family or whatever it is, or even your brother during the pandemic when everything goes away. And I'm sitting in the parking lot of the grocery store and I don't know how I'm going to be able to take care of my family. And I tell you that I have this dream. I have, I have this dream, man. Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a podcast and I, I'm going to, uh, you know, this is what I want to do. And I mean, you, you, it was almost as if you said to me, like, brother, get on my back real quick. Don't worry about the equipment. Don't worry about the stuff that you're set up. It'll be there. I solve problems. You got a problem, I can help you. I solve problems. And when you said that you expect it, like, you know, I think that there's so many people out there that, that don't expect those things. And here's the segue. This is a, a really good segue because I knew I was going to be able to get the Diaz brothers in here some way. <laughs> Nate Diaz, probably my favorite fight of all time, goes up against Conor McGregor. What was our conversation the day before the fight? I, I, quick, te- I mean, I, I, quick text message from me to you. What was my, uh, what was my message to you? Um, I, I remember you, you, you said that, that Diaz was going to win. And um, when we watched, it was my favorite fight of all time. When he got done, he said something that you're talking about. He said, I wasn't surprised. MFers. Yeah. yeah. Talk, yeah. talk about the Diaz brothers. And I mean, I know that you're, they're your favorite. It's my favorite in the UFC also. <laughs> Why? No, you know, what's, you know, what's really, really funny is I had a friend in my office yesterday um, and I had met her through the world of MMA and through her affiliate or employment and affiliation with Zions, the energy drink brand. And this exact subject came up uh, about why um, there, the, why I have such tremendous respect for the Diaz brothers, um, not only in terms of their fighting skill and ability, but it, it, it's really their, their brotherly relationship and why they, it resonates so, so much with me is that like, I can totally, listen, I can't fight. Like I couldn't punch my way out of a wet paper bag. Um, and, and you and I aren't fighters, right. But we would go to war for each other. And I know I've known my whole life that if I could count on one person in the world, it was, it was, <laughs> It was you. Um, so I, what, what, what I find to be so amazing about their relationship is that they're like hardcore for each other. Like if the world was against them, they'd take on the world together. 
they'd go back to back and take on the world. And I've watched that over, you know, the better, you know, in excess of a decade and the way they carry themselves. And listen, like putting aside the, maybe the things that they say or, you know, their negotiations or their fighting style, whatever you might think of them. Like for me, I look at them and say, man, like the, I, I get it. Like they come from, you know, maybe less than favorable circumstances. I don't know specifically all the things that they've gone through, but I, I would venture to guess that they had a tough, tough upbringing, tough childhood. They've overcome a lot in their life and they've just stuck together and they're, they're, they're badass competitors. And for me, like, like they, they, that's how like you and I are. And that's how I view our relationship is that again, I, I can't fight. And I'm not saying that we would physically fight, although you have choked out. I've watched you choke people out on the basketball court uh, in support of me. Um, you know, <laughs> But, but for me, they, they just, what they represent and, and, and the way they support one another, like that undying, unconditional um, belief. And if you hear them, right, when, when, when Nate wins, he talks about the greatest fighter in the world is his brother. And when Nick, you know, and it's, I know it's been a long time since he last fought and last won, but whenever he's competed and won, he, he, he putting he's putting the the spotlight on his baby brother right like like that that Nate's the best like so there's none of this like I'm the best I'm the best it's he's the best or does that make any sense and so for me that like really resonates with me because like I look at you and you helped me tremendously in my life personally and professionally and I've got I've had the benefit and advantage of watching you and how you've navigated through various circumstances and situations and and watched you like succeed and watched your growth and watched you go from nothing to where you you know you've become in your industry and, and have become an industry giant and 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 seeing it makes it real and possible for others including myself particularly when i go well sh- we we're we, we come from the same place we come from the same household so like here's my baby brother doing big things. Like I I can do big things too. And as much as as you believe I was for you and your podcast and your venture, you know, when Lisa and I met with you and Brooke that Christmas uh, in 2015 and and you're in your kitchen and we shared with you and, and you were one of maybe two or three people that we discussed it with and said, Hey, we've decided to start our own firm. And you guys were so excited and uh, the day before we launched our office with no clients and no desk and no, literally no money, <laughs> uh, uh, an uh, 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 Apple uh, desktop computer and a printer showed up at our door uh, and was delivered to our house. And that's how we started our practice. That's how I started my practice. I had, a, I had a, a, an Apple computer uh, and I had a printer. Um, courtesy of you and Brooke. And that's how I started my practice. I I had no clients. (laughs) Uh, I had one office. I had no staff. Um, I had enough money to get me through uh, several months. And um, thankfully, uh, with God's grace and and, uh, benevolence, we've been able to, you know, survive and thrive. 
Well, there's there's two things here that I want to unpack because you said that you started your uh, your firm with no clients. Okay. Mm-hmm. You did something that I shared with a, a woman the other day, but I shared it pre, um, I shared the information before she asked me. So it, it, have you ever done that before? Have you ever, have you ever been so excited about some information you give it to someone, but they didn't ask the question so they don't receive it? Does that make sense? So I do it all the time because I got diarrhea of the mouth. <laughs> I, I, I'm a pro at this and I felt so bad afterwards. So you know who you are out there. Um, I love you and I didn't mean any harm, but I told your story. Because she was starting her her business, and she she was saying that she was having challenges because um, she was working for a company, and she was uh, just about to transition. Well, the word got out that she was going to transition. Now, this business that she was working for was going basically kind of going after her, making sure that she didn't take any clients. Uh-huh. And what I I told her the story of you, and when you walked away. You, you said that you started your firm with no clients, but you actually had relationships. You had uh, people who loved you. you. Everyone around you loved you. When I would go around the M, uh, MMA world, they wouldn't talk about the, the contracts that you signed. They would talk about how great Rob was. So you had this network, but you chose not to utilize that network because it was the right thing for you to do. And also, so there's that. And then I want you to talk about, too, the fact that you do not advertise, you have never advertised. And, I mean, it's, and tell us your view on that part. So the first part is, you know, you walked away and you really could have taken clients from the firm that you were at. You signed them up. Um, they were with you. You were close to them. They knew you as Rob. Um, how tough was that and why did you do it? Well, I can't take credit for that at all. I mean, the decision to leave and go out um, wasn't the, the hard decision. Like the, the, e- the easy decision was made. It was like, all right, we're leaving, right? Like privately, right? My wife and I, and, and, and um, we, <laughs> we have this thing that we call Wines Day. What is it? Wines Day. Wines Day. Oh, okay, Wines Day. Okay, all right, yeah. got you. So, you know, the kids were a little younger. And, you know, busy schedules. And, and uh, so wh- what we would do on, on Wines Day is we would <laughs> sit in the front room. You know, that room in your house that, that, uh, that you might not ever sit in, you know, like it's where the Christmas tree might go or, you know, but no one ever goes in there. Right. Uh, so we, we'd go in there on, on Wines Day night and we would drink wine and we would whine about our, you know, life and issues and different things. Right. I love this. And, and, um, and, and, and it was the one, it was the one night where we were like, all right, kids, like it's wines day. Like, you know, you guys beat it, give room. Right. And, um, and, and we, we had started discussing the prospect of, of going out and and I won't bore the listeners with, you know, the specifics of that, but ultimately we made the decision. and, 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 and so, the decision wasn't the e wasn't the hard part. It, it, it was how are we going to leave, right? So we we know we're going to leave, but how are we going to do it? And um, in my heart, the 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 the, the I knew I, I knew in my heart what I wanted to do, but it was really hard because financially it was incredibly risky right so in my i mean to back up a little bit um you know 
in, in, in talking to you, when we shared that information with you, you know, one of the first things you asked me was, you know, about how I, how we were going to leave and what we were going to do. And I remember you counseling me on, um, you know, leaving without taking any clients. Right. And you, you did, you have this beautiful way of like offering advice, not in a, you know, this is what you need to do sort of way, but like, you know, here, get, you know, here's a thought, right? Like, or this is something you might want to consider. And it was a, you know, a very, very graceful way of explaining to me that the business that I, the the firm that I was with, I had been employed with for nine years. They honored their commitment to me for nine years. uh, uh, And they, they, they did exactly what they said they were going to do for me for nine years. They took good care of me and my family for nine years Yes, I may have signed up a lot of clients and that clients that came to me or had called me, but they were all signed up while I was an employee at that firm under the banner of their firm. And so they were firm clients, not Rob clients. And my relationships with those individuals within the firm, uh, Brett Carter, who is an incredible mentor and friend to me, somebody I admire, respect and love, Larry Smith who was a tremendous, tremendous mentor to me, who I love, respect, and admire. Steve Baker, uh, who, who was instrumental in not only getting me the job there, but mentoring me and taking me under his wing and, and, and allowing me to uh, try cases and litigate cases with him and learn from him, who was a tremendous mentor. Those relationships meant more to me than any dollar amount that was represented by the actual firm, uh, cases that I could have taken. And so this idea that relationships are what matter. And if, if I'm living that and I'm preaching that, what is the, what is the right thing to do? How to go about things in this way with your integrity and character intact and do the right thing because so few people do the right thing. Right. And I've watched for years, people leave firms and hear about people leave firms and how they would do it in the steel of night, taking clients in the steel of night, taking files. You've experienced it both personally and probably, you know, I've observed it in, in, in salons and in, in, in your industry where stylists come and go and take, take clients. Right. And, and so you really sort of counseled me on doing the right thing. They honored their commitment to you. They did the right thing for you. Um, and, and more, and and really, really importantly, I remember you telling me, look, you're going to have an incredible story to tell one day and you're going to be able to tell this story. And how do you want to tell this story? And you eventually are going to have employees and staff and attorneys that are working with you um, in your new firm? And how would you want them to approach this? So if you do this now, you're setting this foundation, right? You have the ability to really, really set this foundation and, and tell this amazing story. And so the easy part, again, is we're going to leave. The hard part is how we're going to do it. Now, the much harder part was now I got to have that uncomfortable conversation with my wife, <laughs> right? Because in addition to you as being one of my 
best, you know, my best friend and my, and, and one of my business mentors and mentors in life is I, I uh, spoke with my former uh, law partner and, and, and one of my first uh, mentors who is a brilliant legal mind, um, you know, somebody who, who, who altered the traje- trajectory of my life in many, many ways. And I called him and I remember him saying to me like, okay, I'm so proud of you. This is, it's a great decision. He's like, so I'm assuming you're taking clients and you have a lot of money uh, put aside. And I was like, nope and nope. (laughs) And I, and then there was that uncomfortable silence, uh, you know, because it was, it was telephonic. And I remember there being this uncomfortable silence where I, I knew he was probably thinking you idiot, right? Like, are you kidding me? But for me, and I'm not saying that it's the right thing for everybody, uh, but for me and where I was at and the type of practice I wanted to have and the type of firm that I wanted to run and the type of business I wanted to have and the type of life and quality of life I wanted to have, it was the absolute right decision for me. And it was the way to go. And so with your help and your counsel, that's how we started. And then to have that tough conversation with my wife, and again, what I what I'm so grateful for is again not only that undying unconditional support that I've had along the way, but that also that that understanding and acceptance that okay, well, it certainly would have been nice to take 40, 50 files along with you, right? Because in my business, you know, you don't sign up a client and get a retainer. You sign up a client and then you hope and pray that in six, nine, twelve, eighteen to twenty-four months, you get some return, right? So you, when you think it, logically speaking, if you're real, and this is why I think when you're going to start out on any venture, I think you really, really, really need to do, you really need to be careful of who you talk to, because most people are going to say, you can't do that. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to do this. And, and they're going to, all the details they are going to overwhelm you with, and you're going to talk yourself out of it because conventional wisdom would have said, I, I'm not going to be able to survive. Like, I'm, unless I open up, turn the lights on tomorrow and, and a million dollar case walks in my door, I'm going to, we're going to, we're going to die in six months, but you can't think that way. And, and the other, the other big challenge for me, and again, this is what you really, really helped me with was deciding right now, like what decisions are going to really, really drive you. Like, the fight like there was temptation to do other things to bring in revenue right there there were there was temptation to do other areas of the law to bring in money um but i wanted to focus on what i do um and what i understood and what i thought i was you know somewhat decent at right like i want to be I, I, I want to be great at one thing. I don't want to be decent at a bunch of things, right? And so it was like, I, I've got to really, really be committed to doing this. And because if if you're not committed to doing that, again, it goes going back to the law of attraction and what, what you focus on grows. If I'm foc- if my focus is all over the place, I'm I might not attract that which um is intended for me. So, you know, your advice and support and guidance along the way kind of kind of helped, you know, build that 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 foundation. And then and then, you know, I had people 
um, that I didn't even realize, um, you know, provide support, you know, and, and, and the, 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 the real amazing thing is that, you know, I, I had, uh, I had, uh, a couple people in those first several months refer me business that had a never done so in, in, in decade plus. Right. And guess what? Who have never sent me anything since, but in those first couple months, it was like, I got a sprinkle and a taste of a little, you know, I got a little love. I'd never gotten it before and I've never gotten it since, but I got it. And it was enough to sort of like, you know, give you momentum. Uh And, and, and I believe that success breeds success. And, you know, uh, uh, and I, and I believe money grows money. And so even if it's just trickling in, it's a couple bucks, it's like, you're getting that like little bit of the momentum and you're like, okay, I'm, we're doing something right. And, you know, you get that client and you're like, we're doing something right. And before you know it, you've got, you know, some support from the community. And so that's, you know, that's kind of been our business model as it relates to advertising and marketing, um, twofold. It's not that I'm against it. It's just, you know, admittedly in the outset, I didn't have any money, right? (laughs) I'm broke. Like, like all these people are coming to me wanting me to advertise and do this. And I'm like, Hey, you know what? Philosophically, our firm just has, we just don't advertise. That's because I didn't have any money. Like I, I can't even pay myself. Like I, (laughs) Um, you want me to pay for advertising? So to keep it real, like, you know, that, like that, that was one component of it. The second component of it is I, I came from a, uh, a firm that, uh, that, that wasn't really heavy into advertising. Um, they, they do, they, they do advertise, um, uh, on, you know, on, on levels now, but at the time they did, they did a little bit, but it wasn't, you know, to the extent that, that, that a lot of firms, uh, locally here do, I'm not against it uh, at all. Um, some of my friends do it and they, they clearly, uh, it, it's been tremendously successful for them. Um, it, it would, would, would I potentially entertain it at some point possibly, but, um, for me, um, you know, we've kind of prided ourselves on being, you know, this boutique practice that isn't for everybody and everybody isn't for us. If you were uh, in an accident and you're simply looking to get paid and you're just simply looking for a paycheck, I'm probably not your guy. If you're in an accident and you really need help and you're hurting and you need medical treatment and you need assistance with your vehicle. And, and there's a, again, do you, do you need help? Can I help you? Then I'm your guy. And I'm your guy on a level that, that no one else is, is on our level because we're all in on every person. Mm. Um, you know, we're, we're a little different that way. Um, you know, we're boutique. So, I never say, I never, I never like to say small, like, you know, if you're going to say small, well, we're deliberately small or we're a small giant. Um, and I don't, I don't say that to sound silly. It's just, I don't view myself or our, our operation as being small, like small represents small numbers and small service and small 
you know, we're not like what we we're deliberately uh, our size. Like uh, it's it's put this way because I want again I want to create an environment of health, happiness, and fun. I, I want to provide a tremendous amount of service to anybody that we're fortunate enough to represent and assist. If we can help you, then I want to help you. But we're not we're not that practice that is, you know, come here to get a to get a paycheck. Like I, I produce results. I mean, uh, you know, I'm not going to kid. Yeah, you do. We do. Like we 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 do our <laughs> we handle our business. But w- what I've what I've found or what I believe is that um, people. And dad, you know, dads preach this, right? Like people are going to remember how you made them feel during the process. Like very rarely am I going to have a client at the end of their case uh, recall or be focused on the end result monetarily, right? Like we, we try to do our best and we, and we put the needs of, of, of every client above, above our own. Um, and we take really good care of them. Um, and, and no client gets less money than me, right? Like we just philosophically don't ever take more than the client. So most often we're, we're, you know, we're sacrificing on our end to make it better for them. But we strive to develop and create relationships with each client to where at the end of the case, it's not about like this. It's about how we made them feel for six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 months along the way. Right. Um, and so that's our focus, right. Where, where uh, other people might be focused on simply the result and creating the big result. And that's attractive to a lot of people. And that is important. Don't get me wrong. Like you could be really, really good to people. And at the end of the day, be like, sorry, you don't get anything like, and that doesn't happen with us. Like what I'm telling you is we produce really good results extremely efficient and we're good with everyone we deal with um you know everybody that we encounter in in the in the community we are good with um but along the way we're focusing on taking good care of that client because that's what they're going to remember at the end of the case uh in, in a year from now two years from now if somebody asks them, well, how much money did you get? They might not remember, but I can guarantee you they're going to remember how they were made to feel during that process. Right. So that's really what's important and, and what we try to do. And I'm very blessed to have, an, you know, an amazing young associate, Taylor Vold, who has an incredible uh, story of resilience uh, himself, who's been with me for you know a couple years. I've known him since he was in college. We, we have an awesome legal assistant, Diana. Um, who joined us in January, who's been with us, who transitioned from the medical side of things, who had never worked in the legal field, who's come in and just been a baller. Um, and and they're, they're both like, I, 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 it's funny because I, I, I'm too old to use this term, but they're both like these ride or die personalities, right? Like they're just, they're all in, um, you know, they, 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 they exude and, and personify and exemplify the culture of our firm. And the way I listen to them, talk to clients and people and the way they deal with people is like, I beam with pride because I'm like, they're, they're just good people taking care of, of, of other people in need. 
And again, being empathetic, trying to understand like, look, what what people are dealing with right now, like their struggles, right? Like they, they might've just lost their car or now they can't work or they're hurt. Um, Maybe they were already in a financially tough spot and now they just lost their car. Like, don't, don't you think they're going to be upset or frustrated? So trying to be empathetic and really trying to understand where people are coming from. And because at the end of the day, we get to help people. That's it. And I, that's what I love to do. Well, all the things, I mean, uh, through, throughout us talking today, and it's, it's so cool for me to be able to have you on the show because it's like, I was looking so forward because being able, it's, it's like a phone call to me. Um, and being able to spend this much time with you and be able to hear like actually what is behind some of the thinking that, that you're doing. And I, I hear a common thread, the whole thing, the whole thing, the whole thing, the whole thing, and, and it, it's relationships and it's over and over again that you're not looking at the end result. You're not looking at the money. You're not looking at the advantage of what you're going to get from, you know, you didn't even name anyone in the UFC when I, when I lofted up that softball. But I mean, you worked with some of the greatest fighters of all time. They were very close to you. They know you by a first name basis. But for you, it was about the relationship and the friendship. How much of the Lompoc, I I refer to it as the Lompoc state of mind. I've said this over and over again. Um, Your friends that you have, you've had since sixth grade. I mean, some even further back in Marlon, Marlon Jackson, um, you know, this is you know, you ranging back to fourth and fifth grade, this is not normal. And I'm not talking about an acquaintance who stops by Vegas and says, Hey, this is an Eric Strickland who you were, you know, in sixth grade, you've known him since sixth grade, he was in fifth grade and he stops by the office and we're joking and boxing. I'm boxing him out in the, uh, in, in the lobby. Um, how much of an effect did those friendships that you still keep and, and have today, um, how have they been able to translate and, and help you in, in what it is that you're doing and throughout your business in your life? Yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly uh, grateful and, and blessed to have the core group of um, friends that we have. And I, I, I refer to them as chosen family, right? Like we have the family that we're born with or born into. And then we also have those that we, that we choose and, you know, like, uh, I, I love, I, I love, uh, the relationships we have with them and, and our kids have grown up, uh, referring to them as uncle Will or uncle Alfred, you know, uh, obviously uncle Dave and uncle Kelly and, you know, uh, those sorts of sorts of things and so- sorts of relationships. But, um, you know, it's very, um, unique, um, because, we've met a lot of people and we've traveled around the country and around the world and, and, and we encounter a lot of people and at least me. And I think, I think I speak for both of us when I say it, you know, when, whenever this, this subject of, of friends and our best friends that are literally have remained our best friends, you know, for, for 30 plus years uh, is a very, very unique, right. And this level of connection and relatability that we have, I think a lot of it stems from the fact that we come from sort of a common experience, a common place. We have, we can, we can uh, relate to one another. We grew, you know, we had this eclectic sort of potpourri of, of friends. Um, you know, we had, uh, uh, we all come from, uh, you know, different ethnic and cultural backgrounds, but it, the commonality was, you know, we were, 
I, we were, most of us were all the, the military kids in that, in that sort of base experience. And all of us were kind of like just trying to survive and have fun and, and get by. Right. Like, and, uh, and there was always a tremendous amount of support and respect for one another. Um, and so I think in large part, you have this group of like little, like this, this stand by me group, right? Like this, you know, you're never going to have like the friends as close to you when you were 12, 13 years old. There's one of my favorite quotes from that movie. Um, and, and you just have this, this connection, uh, with them. And, um, I think for me, it's, it's helped me to navigate life because I've had this support system, uh, that extends beyond just our family. Um, and, and, you know, this support, and when I say support, I'm, I'm talking about like, like they really, really, our group really, really loves on one another and holds one another up and builds one another. Now we, we talk mad shit to each other, like stuff we could never repeat, uh, or, or publicize, but like there, we have this unconditional love for one another. Um, that is a, that is a non-judgmental, um, a non, you know, uh, none of us, I think we are all proud of one another individually and then proud of our group. Uh, and, and I think it, it, it shows and it's evidenced by the, the, the experiences that we've been, been able to share together, not only as like young kids, but like through college, through young adulthood, through, through the infancy of businesses and transitions and different things. And, you know, we've managed to not only still be friendly, but take vacations together and really, really uh, take the time to uh, spend quality time with one another. And now to see our kid, you know, our kids and, you know, all of us have kids and see our kids hanging out. And, and, and it's like, it's not like, Hey, this is my child. And this is your child. It's, Oh, they're, they're your cousins. This is your cousin. So-and-so. And it can be a little confusing for, you know, our kids, like my kids are like, who, now who is that again? Like, no, they're, well, they're your cousins. Like, and, and, you know, but it's like, just accept that they're your cousins. Like, because like, I, Will is, is our brother, right? Like, you know, uh, Dave, Dave is our, Dave is our brother. I mean, he's our brother through, you know, uh, marriage, but I mean, he's our brother. Like, you know, uh, Alfred is our brother. Pike is our brother. Like, you know, uh, Nate, uh, uh, is my, is our brother. Like, um, you know, so there's so many of those strong, amazing relationships and we all kind of grow from that same environment. And the beautiful thing about it is that we've all, none of us has gone into the same thing, right? Like there's so many variations um, in terms of what people have done and what they're doing. And each one of us, I can look at and like and admire for their level of relative success, right? I can look at a DeAndre and I can say, man, like that guy, you know, is an amazing husband and father and has escalated throughout his career in the fire industry, right? Um, you know, I can look at uh, yourself and your business and your family. And the way I measure success might be a little different because the way I measure success is like, are you a good person? You know, uh, you know, are you a happy person? 
you have solid relationships or you're a good father or you're a good husband, you know, those sorts of things. So I can be like, oh, they're, 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 they're extremely successful. Right. Like, uh, and so I think all of us, and then when we get together, it's this amazing ability to just be real with one another. There's none of this, like, you know, oh, I'm better than you, or I'm more successful than you, or I've got more money than you or whatever it might be, because like, they all know like where we come from. It's like, dude, you can't fake anything when you're with, with us. Cause I know you, like, I know, I know everything. Right. And I think that that realness is just really important and coming from the town that we come from, you know, I joke oftentimes, like, I know it's kind of like, it, it became really popular at some point, but I remember thinking like, you remember uh, back in like Monday night football when they would, post the guys up and they would say, yeah, so-and-so from the Ohio state or, you know, from the U or from USC. And I, I always remember like thinking at that time, like, man, if, if I was ever on that platform or that stage, like I'd be, I'd be saying I'm from Lompo or I'm from Cabrillo high school. Right. Like, and, and I mean, I, I love where we're from. Um, I am incredibly proud of where we're, where, where we're from. I appreciate where we're from. I think it, it provided a foundation for who I am as a human being. And in many respects, like I've changed in my life by not changing at all, like literally being that same guy, right? And that to me is just a beautiful thing. And when I can go back to Lompoc and in that area and I can see and interact with people and it's like, man, like you've experienced this. Like you haven't seen somebody for 35 years and you see them and you're like, man, we, we never lost a beat. We're talking about shit that we did when we were little kids. Um, and I think that that's just such a special thing, you know? Um, and I don't know if it's because we come from a small town. I don't know if it's that collectively we all have felt like that sort of underdog, right? coming from a small town, underappreciated, overlooked, right? Odds are against us and that we kind of break out or, uh, and, and, and some people have, have done good things and come back and some people have stayed and done good things. Some people have left and done good things, but I don't, I don't know necessarily what it is, but I can just, for, for, for me and us and our little group of friends, like I, when we're together and when I think of us, we're still, we're still, you know, teenagers playing sock baseball or, you know, playing basketball with a tennis ball uh, with a makeshift bicycle rim, right? Like that's who we are. Like when we get together now, what do we do? We ride bikes and we make fun of each other and we pull pranks and we're in our forties, man. We're like, <laughs> but at, at, at the, at the heart we're just still kids. We're kids and we're having fun and we're enjoying one another and we're celebrating one another. And I just, I just think that that's really important. Um, and, and I want, I talk to my kids about it all the time. You know, I talk to my kids about it all the time. They're like, you know, Hey, um, what's important is the relationships that you're building in life. Um, you know, it's not about like, you know, how many games you win or did you win this tournament or, did you achieve this thing? It's like the relationships that you build in life and the way that you carry yourself through life, because those are the things that are going to help you beyond 
you know, in the next, at the next level, at the next stage and throughout your life. And I'm constantly talking to him and sharing stories with him about, you know, Hey, uncle Will and I, you know, we played baseball together when we were, you know, in fifth and sixth grade, we were on the same team or, you know, I mean, I share those things with the kids deliberately to get them to understand that, you know, these people have incredible value and importance to me in my life. And that the people and the friendships that they're making now are incredibly important and have the ability to be lifetime. Right. And so I think what I want them to understand is all of the day-to-day little, what you might think are insignificant decisions as it relates to those people in your life are incredibly impactful and could be life altering. So take care of the people that are in your life, love the people that are in your life right now, because there's going to be lots of people that come and go, but there's that core group of people that quite possibly could be with you forever. And so, um, you know, that's what we just try to instill in them. So when you're, when you're going through, like, obviously with the two, well, you, you've created a, a hashtag, uh, two kids from Lompoc and yeah. you, you constantly put that out there. Two kids from Lompoc, two kids from Lompoc. Tell us about some pinch me moments from a kid from Lompoc that, you know, when, when we say a one bedroom apartment, uh, you know, four people, when dad moved back in, uh, there was five people with it. Um, you know, we lived 40 miles away from our high school. We did drive uphill both ways for the kids listening. It was true. It was uphill both ways. We had a 71 Corolla station wagon with a slipping transmission that you at 16 years old, right when you got your license would drive me to school, but we would have to drive on the, the shoulder of the highway for up to two and three miles to get up to speed so we could merge into traffic because if you pushed on the gas, then the uh, transmission would slip and it would go into neutral. Coming from that, tell me about some pinch me moments that you've had in your life. Well, uh, well, first of all, uh, in regards to that 71 Corolla, I shared with the the friend group last week, Jim Everett, uh, quarterback of the Rams growing up, how he roasted me on Twitter about my car, man. It was funny, and I appreciate it, but here, here's a, it's a little bit of a backstory. So Jim Everett, who was the quarterback of my favorite team, the Los Angeles Rams, when I was growing up, he started following me on Twitter about a year or so ago. And he's incredibly engaging, really funny, really positive, amazing guy, like with his fan base. And when I say engaging, he's not, it's not like he's engaging with me all the time, right? But he's engaging with his fan base, and he's, he's you know, uh, he's, he's a real person. Right. And he in response to him posting his a picture of his first car and saying, all right, next. Right. Like kind of encouraging his fan base to share. I shared a picture of the 71 Corolla. It wasn't the actual one, but it was, it was you know, same like it. Yeah, color. Yeah. It had better rims than ours. Yeah. yeah. And then he roasted me, which, uh, you know, <laughs> then I got to share with everybody because I thought it was funny. Um, pinch me moments. Um you know, uh, I can share that probably the toughest, um, one of the toughest stretches of my life um, was post high school graduation, um, living in Lompoc. Um, most of my friends had gone off to college. Um, you know, you know, you and 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 several other guys were still. I think you know you would have been a, a junior. Uh, the other guys would have been seniors in high school, but I, uh, you know, was done with, I was done with high school. I was still living in Lompoc. 
Um, I, 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 I was struggling to find part-time work. Um, you know, I decided kind of got, kind of got convinced to go to, uh, Allen Hancock community college to start, you know, you know, school there. Represent. And, um, you know, I was incredibly like, it was, a, it was, it was kind of a, a rough dark time for me because, um, I, I had lost my identity, you know, growing up in a small town where, you know, where everybody kind of knows everyone and sports is a real, you know, a real driver in the community. And, and you got to understand from sixth grade, sixth, seventh and eighth grade, I spent, you know, damn near what we did in the fall every Friday night at Huck Stadium watching the football games. And then I get into high school and now I'm playing in those football games. And my identity was sort of, you know, for me, not, not, you know, for anyone else, but for me, my identity was I was, I was a high school athlete and I played sports and I always thought and knew that I was going to play collegiate athletes. I I was going to play sports in college and that was going to be the only why else would I go to college like I mean of course I'm going to go to play sports because there's no other reason to go to college and I had no interest in going to college and I wasn't a good student um and I I don't recall ever doing any homework or ever one time studying for an exam that's embarrassing because like kids nowadays like they're studying and doing <laughs> shit like it in second grade and they're all stressed out and I'm like good lord like I, I didn't even like think about studying or doing homework until I was in college. But at any rate, uh, getting out of high school, most of my friends leave to go, they're, they're going away to college. They've got it in my mind, again, the, the, the enemy of comparison, right. Is I'm comparing my life to them and I'm like, man, they got it all figured out. They're 18 and they know what their major is going to be. And you know, they're at such and such university and such and such college. And I'm like, I'm stuck in Lompoc and I've got I've got no prospects. I'm not, I mean, I was incredibly embarrassed. I was embarrassed because I, I failed. I was a failure, right? I, I didn't, I, I wasn't playing. I didn't, I didn't get to go to play sports in college. I didn't even know the first thing about applying for college. Uh, we didn't have any money. I, I would have never thought of, well, there's financial aid. Thank God. Cause I would have probably got student loans and then flunked out of school. And, um, <laughs> got rims it, for the 71 Corolla. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, and I, I really didn't, I didn't really know what I was going to do. And I was just, I was just kind of like lost and uh, you know, and uh, I, I didn't have any direction, you know, I didn't, I didn't have any direction. And, and so that was an incredible, incredibly tough time for me. And um, you know, my friend, our friend Hannibal, um, at the time, like encouraged me and literally sat down with me with the, with the actual schedule of classes at Allen Hancock and picked my classes, you know, what, what I was going to take for a semester. And, you know, I, I, I started going to community college and, you know, just kind of still struggling and trying to figure out what it is that I wanted to do. And, um, you know, so that for me, that's a real, uh, you know, somebody could say, well, that's kind of a negative moment, but I, I look at the time, it was a tough time and it was probably one of the toughest times. It was certainly the toughest thing that I had dealt with uh, up to that point for me, right. As a, as an 18, 19 year old, 20 year old kid person. Um, because I could, you can't really articulate it. You can't really like, who do you talk to about that? Like, like I'm really struggling. I'm embarrassed. I'm like, I feel like I, I'm, I feel like a loser. I'm a loser. Like I, I like, what am I going to do? 
And, um, you know, uh, you know, thankfully, like kind of struggled through my first year of community college. And, um, you know, you and I, um, you and I got an opportunity to coach Vandenberg Village uh, basketball team, the Celtics, uh, that year. And um, I don't really know. Uh, I, I think I, I think what, what had happened was is in the fall, in the fall, uh, Coach Best had asked me to help coach the youth football team. Um, and this, this goes back to, uh, one of those things that you were talking about in business, where if you think you're good tactically at something that you're automatically going to be a good, you know, you know, if you're a good cook, you can run a restaurant. <laughs> so coach best was like, Oh, you were a good high school football player. So you can come and be the offensive coordinator. And I, dude, I didn't know the first thing of uh, calling a play or blocking schemes. And, uh, the team lost every single game. We were zero and eight. And I, I don't even know if we scored a touchdown. So I was like a, the worst offensive coordinator in the history of, you know, youth football. And, but after that season and I was terrible and the, and the team was terrible as a result of me being terrible. Um, uh, I, I, Coach Best had asked if, if I was interested in coaching a, a basketball team because the, the youth uh, basketball league needed coaches. And so I reluctantly took on a team um, you know, I, I named you as my assistant coach and you were still in high school. You were a junior in high school. And so here we were these young kids and dude, we would get probably thrown in jail for this, the shit we would say to these kids, you know, the way we, I'd cuss them out on the, at halftime, <laughs> I'd be getting in their face and we'd be, you know, we'd be getting like physically, uh, you know, scrimmaging with them, you know? Um, and, but in our, I'll never forget, you know, we, we, we lost our first game oh. of the season that year by one point in double overtime. And then we ran the table, we won the league, won the league championship. And then they asked us to be the all-star coaches that year. And I remember, um, one of our players, Bobby Westwater was our point guard. Right. Um, and I remember, uh, his, uh, his family just being like, like a really, really cool supportive family. Like, they had three boys. Uh, uh, Bobby, if I can recall, was the middle son. And uh, I think Scott was the oldest son. And then they, then they had a younger son. But they were from the Midwest. I think they were from like the Chicago area from Illinois. And they had transplanted here to or to to Lompoc. And I didn't know what they did. But I just, I, you know, I was in, I was around them enough as parents. like, And that was intimidating because at the time I was like 19 years old. And, you know, you know, they and they were entrusting us with their, you know, their, their teenager to coach and mentor. And, and we were hard on these kids and we were brutal, like during games and, you know, the way we would scream and yell and act a fool. And, um, but you know, that was kind of the way we grew up, like our coach, that's the way our coaches were with us. And so, uh, and our, and the way our dad was with us. And so I remember like feeling like, you know, this family is pretty, pretty awesome family, right? Like they're not like, what we would describe now as being like the helicopter parents, like they wouldn't be coming to me, like telling me, you know, what I, all the things I was doing wrong and all the mistakes I was making, why their kids should be playing more or doing, you know, all that, like all the shit that we deal with now in the, in the sports environment with our kids and the club environment. Um, and I just thought they were super cool. And I'll never forget, like, and, and for me as a 19 year old, like, Mr. Westwater represented the epitome of success for me, right? Mesa Oaks. Yeah, lived in Mesa Oaks. Basketball court in his driveway. Yeah. 
um, had a nice uh, big sedan. I don't know what the hell it was, but a big car. And that to me, like, hey. you know, that, that represented success. Nice house, uh, you know, and, and, and uh, a nice family, right? Like a good family. And I remember they invited me over for dinner. They were going to be moving back to the Chicago area, uh, to Illinois. And they invited me to dinner. And um, Mr. Westwater, we sit, we actually sit at a dining room table, which like, I never sat at a dining room table. I never like sat. And I, I'll never forget. They like, like served water and water glasses. And I was like, wow. And I, and I think, you know, we have a, we actually have a meal, like a dinner. And I was like, this, is this Thanksgiving? Like, why are we like actually sitting here eating this meal? And I remember Mr. Westwater very, very like, uh, you know, almost like very stoic, very professional. And, and, uh, and he's like, so he's like, Rob, uh, what do you want to do? And I was like, you know what? I think I want to, um, I think I want to be an English major and I want to coach high school basketball. And he looked at me and he shook his head and he's like, no son, what do you really want to do? And I was really embarrassed because I mean, here's this guy who I think is like, like this incredibly successful guy. I'm 19 years old. Like I'm embarrassed about the words that I'm about to say to this man, because I know what he's going to do is probably spit out his water and laugh at me and be like, okay, son, like get real. I said, um, Mr. Westwater, you know, I, I think I want to go to law school, but I don't want to be a lawyer. I know that sounds weird. And he's like, son, that doesn't sound weird at all. He goes, I went to law school and I'm not a lawyer. And I was like, boom, like light just went off. And that was my moment. That was the moment that changed my life because I was like, wow, like this is, this guy's everything I want to be. Like he has everything I want. Again, relatively speaking, in the context of being a 19 year old, this is it. Like this guy, he made it. And he went to law school and he doesn't practice law. Boom. That And so that's the moment that changed my life. And so from that point on, my, my focus was not being a lawyer, not practicing a particular area of law. It was going to law school. And so when anybody would ask me, what are you going to do? I would say, I'm going to law school. Like in college, when I was in college. So that was at the time I was at Hancock. I finished Han Hancock, went on to the University of Memphis. And people were like, what, which, what are you gonna, what's your major? Uh, English, what are you going to do? I'm going to law school. Like there was, that was it. And it became my single, single-minded focus. Like that was it. Like there was nothing else. It was like I had blinders on and that's all it was. And, and it was, it was somewhat deliberate in that, I was saying it because I wanted to believe it, right? I really, really wanted to believe it. But I was also saying it to hold myself accountable because what started to happen is that then we would meet people, right? And they'd go, hey, this is my friend, Rob. He's going to go to law school. And I'd be like, oh, shit, I better go to law school because I've been, <laughs> I've been telling all these people, they've been actually listening to me. Like, oh, my God. So it became like that whole sort of commitment eliminates options. Like I'm going to law school, I'm going to law school. So for the, the, the next three years, it was, I'm going to law school. Whenever it was like, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I'm going to law school. You're, graduate, you're about to graduate from college. What are you going to do? I'm going to law school. So then, and then guess what? I end up getting into law school and going to law school. 
And then when I got into law school, it was like, well, what are you going to do? Trying to graduate? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I'm here. This was where I was, you know, I I don't know. I'm still waiting for direction on what I'm supposed to do. I'm just, I just know that this is where I'm supposed to be. And this is what I was kind of made to do. Like, and I'm just going to enjoy it and love it for what it is. I don't have it all figured out. Like, I mean, nobody in our family had gone to college. Um, nobody in our family had gone to to law school. I'd never been in the, in the, the law environment at all, except for the time I got, you know, in trouble for minor in possession when I was in high school <laughs> and had to go in front of a judge with no lawyer and my dad sitting there, right? Um, and And kind of learning the hard way, but I'd never been... Uh, around a, a lawyer or, or a judge or in a, in a law firm. So I was like, I don't know. I'm just, I'm here. And, and I used that three years as a time to like, just really sort of enjoy it for what it was and get through and just kind of like survive and figure it out. Um, and that's kind of the way I handled the first part of my career, you know, just trying to figure stuff out. Well, when you're, when you're looking at it now, so, you know, you've, you've come from, you know, when we talked when we started, we were talking about altitude, right? It's the, the distance between where your where your starting point was and where you're at now. And for all of you listening, you're hearing his story from, from where his ground level was and where he's at is just, I mean, it's unbelievable. And that's why you've always been such an inspiration to me. And even today getting to hear things that, Sometimes I've heard the stories, but I haven't heard the reasons why. And I never heard that. I never knew that. And I don't think anyone that knows you would have ever thought that there was any insecurity in you at all. Um, and you were you were very good at at, at working through those things. Um, I think one of the biggest challenges with people like yourself that grow, right? So you grow from where you did. And and if I was to tell you when we were kids, um, sixth grade you know, when you were in sixth grade, if I was to tell you that you were going to be enjoying some of the things that you're enjoying now, there's probably a part of you that would have said, I expect that, but it, it, I know you and I was there with you in that one bedroom apartment. And you would have been a little shocked at the things that you're experiencing on a day-to-day basis right now. And so, so with that, like, what's that Star Wars mentality now? Like, what is that thing now? And it doesn't have to, I, I'm not talking about things. I'm not talking about, oh, well, I'm going to get a Bentley or I'm going to get a, a twice the size of house. But what are you looking at now as being that far off? Because you're in a place where you just basically over the last little bit, you have constructed for us how to be able to get to the point where you want to be at you. First, you got to think about it, right? You got to conceptualize it. Then you got to speak about it. Then you got to speak about it to people that are around you so they hold you accountable. And then you have to add action to that. And that's what you've said this whole time through the whole, our whole conversation. So when you're at that point, right, and you have the formula, you, you, you created it. What is some of the things that you're looking at now that are far off that you're saying, this is what I'm, this is where my focus is. Um, I think just every day trying to be, you know, a better version of myself than I was the day before, um, allowing myself to continue to stretch my thinking. And I think that's the exciting part, right. Is like to really like look at things and, 
Um, I'm at this point in time, it's really more about like building a legacy and, um, you know, instilling in my kids this idea and belief that like literally anything is possible and that uh, some of the amazing things that we get to experience or will get to experience um, are base level foundational things for them. So it creates that expectation for them. So there, it's not like scary. Like I know firsthand what it's like to be intimidated and not to say that I'm not still to this day intimidate can be intimidated by, you know, people or issues or circumstances, but I'm less intimidated. Um, because number one, I don't compare myself to anybody. And number two, I can appreciate and respect somebody's grind and hustle and success. And, uh, and number three, like, I, I, I know that I, I know that my trajectory is, is on the rise. Like I'm still growing as a human being, as a husband, as a father, as a son, as a brother, as a professional. Um, and so, you know, for me, I, I try to, you know, exude humility in everything that I do. I try to, uh, uh, approach things, um, you know, uh, with, with, with gratitude. Um, but I also like the fun part now for me is like starting to, I'm experiencing myself and, and, uh, starting to open up my, my, my eyes a little bit, my thought process a little bit even more like, okay, what, what, what are the sorts of things that we want to be able to do? I think to be honest with you, at the end of the day, I want to be able to spend time with my family I want to enjoy my family. I want to uh, uh, be able to be, you know, uh, help people. Um, I, and 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 I'm 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 a lot more conscious of my time. You know, my time is incredibly important. And as and 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 as as I've gotten older, and as we get older, because you know, you and I have talked about this a lot of time. Time is that non-replenishable resource, and so we got every day we have less and less of it but really trying to prioritize and focus on what's important and learning how to say no, learning how to say no to opportunities, uh, (laughs) to people, um, to things that may not be as important and focusing on what's really, really important. And, and again, just, you know, trying to really, really take advantage of the time that I have with the people that I love and spending as much time as I possibly can. Now, if that means, um, you know, uh, traveling or doing various things for me, it's really about creating moments, uh, rather than accumulating things. And so, you know, I like night, I like nice things. Um, but it's, it's not, it's not my focus. I, I would much rather like have an experience. It's where I've always been. Like to me, it's more valuable. I want to, you know, I want to, I'll overspend on the, when we can go, I'll overspend on the concert ticket or the, or the, or the game ticket for my kids to experience something that could be life-changing or life-altering. Because again, I want to expose them to things that um, are, that, 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 that open up their mind, right? Yeah. That, that um, to where there's not this, um, I, I want them to always appreciate it for what it is. And never to take it for granted, but I also want them to uh, uh, not just not not necessarily expect it, but 
it's okay to be in those environments because one day they're going to be blessed to be a blessing to other people. And so that's really what I want to create uh, and establish for, for my, for my kids and my family. And at the end of the day, bro, like at the end of the day, the only thing that matters to me is that my kids and my wife are proud of me. That's it. As long as those, you know, that's, I mean, that's really it. Nothing else really matters to me. Wow. Well, I think that, you know, watching you and, and I've got a, a front row seat to be able to watch you, watch your success over the time. I think that there's been one thing that, you know, one uh, thing that you've had always that really could in a pinch, I mean, it could literally, uh, I mean, you could rely on this and that you could, you could go to this. It was almost like, you know, you could go to this move or you could go to this place whenever you wanted. And that was the booty move layup. Um, and so I wanted to talk about the booty move layup because it has made a lot of people mad on basketball courts for years. Will Simmons, shout out to Will Simmons. Will Simmons hates the booty move more than anything in the world. Do you believe that it could work today? And do you believe that you could score a layup on pretty much anyone with the booty move? Um, you know, if you could explain the booty move and where it came from and how you were able to master, this was the most like <laughs> infuriating move of all time playing basketball because you could not defend this move. Yeah. Um, the, the, I mean, <laughs> this was before, this was before the garbage in the NBA where they fake you and get you in the air and then to jump into you and then toss up a shot and they get foul shots. I mean, literally you would jump in the air, like I, and your vertical was probably a half an inch. Um, and you would toss your booty into, <laughs> into the opponent from, and they'd be across the court. They'd be on the, they'd be on the bench on the other side of the court and you would hit them with your booty, knock them over and then call the foul in the air and score, and then there was nothing you could do. Yeah, talk I mean, to us about this. This, move. yeah, yeah, that was. Uh, I was very, I was uh, vertically challenged and uh, vertical jump challenged. But you were dominant. You were dominant. Like you were yeah. the most dominant five-two postman that I've ever seen. <laughs> I, a dominant on a nerf. Hoop. Yeah, dom dominant on Nerf. Uh, yeah, that that I I, uh, I violated probably every offensive uh, charge uh, uh, move imaginable. But this was like back in the eighties, early nineties. Um, but yeah, that was my that was my go to Nerf hoop, uh, dunk hoop move because I was the only one that would play that couldn't dunk. And right? you, you would slam. You would you would jump towards the person yeah. away from yeah. the ba basket, knock yeah. them over. Yeah, and you would turn I, into a referee during that time and call foul. I would, def I would definitely initiate the contact. I was, it was offensive charge, but like I would, I would call the, I'd call the foul immediately and <laughs> grab the ball. And I think everyone was either like so confused, pissed, or like they they had their wind knocked out of them to like really even challenge the call. So by the time they would catch their breath or something, I had already like either shot my free throws or like, you know, had the ball back to the top of the key or something. So yeah, I was terrible. It was, it was, was it was, it, we were all intimidated by you too, because you were all our big brother. So it was, I generally don't talk about, uh, um, current events and I, you know, these are hotbeds, things like that, but there seems to be one question all over the place that everybody wants to know. 
Like, and they, they keep asking about it. And for me, like literally, I like to stay away from current events, but I, I mean, I have to ask you, why did the Rams fall off? This year or? No, I mean, they went Super Bowl and then they just went into trash. Like, I mean, and I'm, yeah. I, I think that I, I have a, a personal vendetta against them because they beat us in 99. I'm a Titans fan and they beat us in 99. And you keep always showing me the, the highlight of like a yard. Um, the that, greatest tackle in Super Bowl history. Yes. Sure. But what happened to the Rams, my man? Um, I think in 2019, um, I think a couple things. Number one, uh, we had, I think our offensive line was pretty much decimated, you know, not to make excuses, but they were pretty injury rattled. I think number two, I think number two, um, we are a, or not we, the NFL is a league of like, you know, schemes oftentimes. So what's like, like shiny and flashy one year doesn't necessarily always work the next year i.e., you know, uh, what's what's what Lamar Jackson is, you know, experiencing now, you know, those sorts of things. So schemes start to come into play. You give defenses and defensive minds the opportunity to to plan and project and scheme for a particular offense. But I, I really think that and this is not me being like negative. Listen, I've been a Rams fan for 40 plus years. I feel like if anybody from a fan standpoint has the ability to be objective, it's me because I've seen good teams and I've seen bad teams. This last two years isn't the worst I've seen and it certainly isn't the best. So my highs, I tend to be pretty balanced in, in looking at it. But when, when, when the team dominates the way that it did in 18 offensively and it goes into a Super Bowl scenario where on paper, statistically, there's no way they're going to lose. They're going to absolutely blow, you know, the team out of the water. And I think when it, when it gets in that environment and the environment and the, and the moment is too big for our rookie coach, who was, was 33, 34 years old at the time, and our, and our, and our you know, second-year quarterback, the moment was clearly too big for both of them because the play calling was bad. Um, the execution was bad. Um, and, and you, and you put up three points in the biggest, on the biggest stage in the biggest moment of your career. I think it's very difficult to come back from that. Right. Uh Like it's the same thing where like with the Falcons, you know, years ago, they're up 28 to three in the Super Bowl. the game's all but done. And then they absolutely lay an egg and their organization hasn't had a winning season since then. And they and look at what's even happened this year, where multiple games this year, they have big leads and then lose. That culture is one of, you know, losing comebacks, right? Like in the back of their mind, they're like, yeah, we're up 25 points, but, you know, we're probably going to lose, right? It's happened before. And so I think with the Rams, it goes, there's that there's that part of it coming out of that and going, we were on the biggest stage in the biggest environment and we were the best offensive team in football and we laid an egg. It's really hard to come back from that. And then I think, you know, the defenses around the league kind of schemed for our offense. You know, they had an opportunity like Belichick, Belichick, he's the, he's the, he's the mastermind. You give him two weeks to plan for anybody 
he's going to scheme and plan, right? And so now you give defenses that opportunity. And then I think the last thing is that we play in arguably the best and most competitive division in football in the NFC West. And so you have a really strong Seahawks team. You have a, a I mean, but for, for COVID, you have a really strong Niners team and you have a, and you have a really up and coming dynamic Arizona team. I love their quarterback. He's, he's, you know, I mean, so, so I think there's a lot of things in play there. Um, you know, this year, um, I haven't allowed the highs to get too high and the lows to get too lows because we can't beat anybody outside the NFC East that, you know, the AFC East owns us. We own the NFC East. We're going to win. We're, 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 are the epitome of being an average team. We're going to, we're going to beat the teams that are bad. We're going to lose the teams that are good. And we're going to play competitively against the teams that are also average. Again, that's the very definition of an average team. So, but I love my team. Um, you know, it, it, it you know, uh, and we're we're one to know in the Super Bowl against the Titans, which is ultimately oh. all that matters. Oh. Yeah. Well, I, I think that it's amazing. You know, as uh, as you talk about that, I mean, everything in your life lines up. And I, there's very few people. And again, I, I reiterate why you're my hero. And it's one of the million reasons why you are is because everything in your life lines up. Like you were talking about the Rams. You've liked the Rams since you were probably six years old or five years old. Um, and you've stuck with them. You've stuck with them over time. Your friends, you've stuck with them with your, with your business. You're not looking at a short term. Hey, I'm going to make you make money and I'm getting out. You're looking at relationships. You're doing the right thing at the right time uh, for the right reasons and the right things that end up happening. Now, for a lot of people, they are like, oh, man, he's got the golden touch. For me, being close to you, I know that you do have the golden touch because every single thing that you touch turns to gold. But it's because you continue to do the right things for the right reasons. So um, the whole reason why I made the podcast, man, was for my kids. And I wanted to take iconic people and you're the biggest icon in my life. Um, and I wanted the kids to see that, you know, uncle Rob is as successful as he is, um, because he has a great attitude and phenomenal work ethic. And so, um, if you could look into the screen and you could use Maddox and McKenna's name, I don't have to say them twice because you know, them. um, use their name and give them maybe some advice from uncle Rob, uh, what you would like that. Uh, you know, kind of almost Uncle Rob legacy to be to them. Yeah. So first of all, to McKenna, I, I think um, you are truly one of the sweetest, sweetest, sensitive people I've ever encountered in my life. And I think you need to you know, continue to focus on uh, those attributes. And uh, I see a lot of both your mom and dad in you in the way that you are with people and your sweet disposition and your kind spirit. And those things, those, those will play a, a heavy role in, you know, your continued success throughout life. And life is hard, particularly for young girls, it can be. And so just lean on the support of your family and your friends and, um, you know, use, uh, those, those, that spirit of kindness and that spirit of, of loving, um, to carry you through to Maddox. Um, your personality is, is, uh, is just like your dad's grown up. 
larger than life, bigger than your body. Um, keep um, being uh, such a confident, um, you know, unafraid little little kid because that's exactly how your dad was. Um, I see it in the way that you dress, the way that you wear socks that don't match and funny <laughs> shoes and you have the weirdest haircut I've ever seen, but you rock it and it's just like your father and to have that level of confidence and security and who you are and being uh, comfortable in your own skin is, is really important and will carry you through throughout your life. And love your parents, listen to your parents, study, um, you know, do good in school, not for purposes of getting good grades so that you can achieve things uh, because of your good grades, but because working hard in school and learning the value of hard work will carry you throughout your life because that's ultimately what it takes uh, to be uh, a, a successful person in, in whatever it is that you do working hard in your your relationships your job your schooling and your marriage yeah. uh, i thank you for that man and yeah. uh the way the way i want to end it today is uh you know I, I don't think i've ever done this with you but um you know is is favorite um well you don't have to do a favorite but a brother moment and i'll start with mine um Going to Alabama, I, that picture came up today on Facebook, and we went, we went to Alabama, we went to Tuscaloosa together, and um, uh, getting to go and see that game, it was LSU against Alabama, one versus two, uh, we, we were there in Tuscaloosa, it was phenomenal, we had such a great time, and being able to have moments like that, and I remember going to buy the jacket, the Alabama jacket that I have, and we were looking around, and I remember wanting to get a really cool one, not because I wanted the cool jacket, but because I just wanted to commemorate that experience, um, and the, so that one, and then there's one other one, which it was during Christmas time, and, and you had given me a book, and it was the Dr. Seuss, The Places That You Will Go, and I sat, and I had never read it before, and I read that book, and just tears and tears and tears, um, because, like, your belief in me um, what far exceeded my belief in myself. And reading that book really took me to a completely other place. And I even have a journal to this day that has Dr. Seuss on it uh, that says you have uh, feet in your shoes, you have brains in your head, and you could uh, take yourself wherever you choose, or I'm paraphrasing that way. But uh, that was a moment, that was a brother moment for me that, uh, that I really hold dear. That's awesome. Uh, for me, it, it would also be a Christmas moment. So, um, you, you know, growing up when we were kids, um, you know, we, 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 we got a lot of gifts, like, but they were like, you'd open it up and it would be like an eraser, you know, and not like a, like a cool eraser, but like the little one that you put at the end of the, like, like mom believed in like having like a million gifts, even though it was like, you know, a pair of socks that weren't our size or, you know, a double extra large t-shirt, you know, I was always afraid growing up, like to let them what let mom know what I was interested in because then I would get like a shit ton of stuff like you know when I when I and as I got a little older and I liked cigars and everything I got was a cigar like you know a cigar <laughs> themed you know and it would be like the wrong size and all that stuff but growing up you and I had this little tradition as kids where we would exchange a Christmas gift and we would also uh every Christmas Eve you and I would uh, spend the night in each other's 
bedroom, like, right. We camp out in each other's room and we would, and, and I, I just remember like from the time we were little, like the excitement of like, it's Christmas and Santa's going to come and what are we going to get? And we'd talk about what we were going to get. And, and we would each like, we would, we would each exchange uh, a particular gift. Well, this particular year, uh, I believe I was uh, in sixth or seventh grade, um, you know, looking under the tree, I had two gifts from you. And I, and, and I was like, man, he got me two gifts. And I was like, I felt bad because I had only got you the one gift and the rule was one gift each. And I was just like, man, I can't believe like I didn't get him an extra gift. And that whole Christmas Eve night, we're sitting there and you're just like, you're like, man, I'm so excited to give you that gift. Like, you know, you were like giddy, like you were super excited. And knowing now, like I'd be like, oh, this, you know, mf right? But you were so pumped about that. I just can't wait for you to open up this gift. I'm so excited. And I was like, dude, I, I got like, you were hyped it up. I was like, man, this is going to be the best gift ever. Like, what do you get me? Right. And so open up all the gifts and then we exchange our one, you know, historic what is historically our one gift and then now there is this one final gift and it's like the size of a shoebox right and i'm just like man like okay here it is and you're all excited and you're like oh i'm opening my gift and i open up the wrapping and it is a shoebox i'm like oh man some shoes and i lift it up and it was like back <laughs> off the movie like like explosion of of the worst smell and it was a shoebox full of dog shit (laughs) (laughs) that you had gone out into the backyard scooped up all the dog poop and give it and wrapped it up and gave it to me as a christmas gift and that like to me was like such a memorable moment i mean um because like for me like it's the epitome of like, I don't know, it really is representative of our relationship, our ability to like, you know, be one another's biggest advocates, but at the same time, like, we give each other the hardest time. And give um, each other shit. Yeah. And, you know, so I got a box of poop. <laughs> that was, that was, that was one of the, the most uh, oh. amazing times. And then, and then another time that just like sticks out for me is as when we were older adults. Uh, and I just shared this with my son, Cameron, who, uh, who like is, you know, I, I love and adore that guy beyond measure, but I was sharing with him the other night as I was driving him home from football practice, uh, the time that, um, you know, you and I on a Friday night had flown to LA and, uh, and saw the, uh, the Lakers play and we saw him play uh, the Dallas Mavericks and that was the year that they had Shaq and Gary Payton and Carl Malone and Kobe, right? And the Mavs had Dirk and and Steve Nash. And I'll never forget, like, you know, you you had arranged to get us these bomb tickets, 10 rows behind the bench on a Friday night to see the Lakers in what would have been the year that they were going to, like, you know, win it all because of, it was like all these Hall of Famers that they had brought together to win this, you know, make this, you know, dynamic dynamic team and so i was like oh and 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 so i was like okay you know uh i'll I'll get us a a limo service from the airport to the arena and so i booked the limo and i remember us you know getting to the uh and we had booked flights that night so we're flying in that night the limo was going to pick us up take us to uh the game and we're going to attend the game and then we're going to fly back 
that night because the next morning we got up super early to fly to Tennessee. And so here we are, we get to this, we get to the stadium we get to the arena, we go in the arena, we're sitting in seats that we had no business sitting in. Like, here we are these, you know, where we're from, like, this is my first basketball game. And we happen to be like right there. And I remember the uh, Mavericks go up by 27 in the fourth quarter going into the fourth period and they're up 27 and we're like, game's over, let's bounce. And so remember, we gotta we gotta get to our flight too because we can't miss our flight because we gotta we're gonna be going to the, see the Tennessee Titans play in Nashville on Sunday. And so we come out of the arena and we're like waiting, waiting, waiting for the car. And you're like, "Where's the car?" And I was like, "I don't." Know. And I had only booked the limo service one way. <laughs> it's totally that's so me. Like that's just me. I'm just like I like I'm such a I'm a space cadet, man. Like. Um, you know, and it, it would be something I would totally do and have completely, totally done throughout my life and like these brain farts. And so I remember and you're like, you, oh, you didn't book it around trip. And I was like, I didn't even think like, cause I'm not, it's not like I'd ever booked a limo. Like, come on. Like I just was doing it because I was like, oh, this is what you're supposed to do. Like, <laughs> and, um, so I remember we have to take a taxi we, we, we barely remember, we barely make the flight. We're literally running up to the gate to make the flight. We make the flight home. We get home super late. We wake up the next morning and then we end up in, uh, in, in Nashville on Saturday. And then Sunday we're on the sidelines of the game, uh, Tennessee Titans against the Indianapolis Colts, Peyton Manning, Edron James, Reggie Wayne, Marvin Harrison, and we're standing in the tunnel where when the Colts are walking out. And so there we are standing with Peyton and, and Edron James and Marvin Harrison, Reggie Wayne. This is pre-cell phone like camera. So I've got, remember, I've got a disposable camera where I'm taking these pictures. But to stand there and it was such a, an amazing moment to stand there and then to walk out on the field and stand on the sidelines and kind of like look up and look around and soak it in and be, and, and that feeling of, man, we, 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 not that we've made it, but because clearly no, that wasn't the case, but man, we, we're doing something right. Right. Like, can you believe this? Here we are. And to be there with my best buddy, in that moment, experiencing that, seeing your favorite team right there, like, man, this is pretty incredible. So we've had so many like moments together um, that, that, you know, too many to, to list off, but like, you know, just putting me on the spot, those are two of the ones that like, you know, really, really come to mind that, that I, that I'm very, very appreciative of because um, I've been to a lot of games. I've got, I've got, I've had a lot of experiences, but those, you know, those, those sorts of things are, are the things that stick out for me. Like we, we've had some pretty amazing experiences together. So, Well, I look to, you know, for me, I look forward to so many more as, uh, you know, as the holidays come around and, you know, and all those things. And um, I can't tell you how much I admire you, man, how much uh, I thank you uh, for being on the show, for uh, being here with me. And uh, not only just being here with me on the show, but uh, literally you have you have carried me through so many aspects of my life and you continue to do that through sometimes just watching you 
sometimes listening to your voice and sometimes, you know, you smacking me upside the head and saying you need to stop doing X, you know, and I, I, I thank you for it. And I think every single person that's out there listening, you're better uh, for listening to this guy, following him, being around him. Um, he is the absolute best in every single thing that he does. And I've never seen an uh, individual like him. So I want to thank you for being on the show, man. Um, now's the time that you click the links, uh, patronize the sponsors, do all the things that you need to do. But Rob, you are an incredible, incredible human being and uh, in all aspects. And I thank you so much for being here, man. I love you, man. I'm super proud of you. Super proud of you. Continue to continue to inspire the masses and uh, encourage with your um, with your message and your platform is super important, man. The people need it, and the world needs it, and and, and the people in the world need more of you. I love you, man. I'm super proud of you. Thank oh. you for the opportunity. Love you too. There's going to be 13 seconds of uncomfortable silence, and then uh, stay with me for a second.